will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon you. What's going on, y'all? It's the Review A New Podcast. I'm DJ. I'm Evan. And this is the podcast where we typically look back at the movies of our favorite but imperfect filmmakers and talk about their movies from, uh, we talk about their uh, work from a modern lens. And today we're talking about QT's second film, Pulp Fiction. <laughs> God damn. That was good. That was good. The intro is but that intro music is so damn good. I was actually a unmistakable, yeah. I was actually just talking about uh I, I a couple of days ago when I uh, first watched it, I had posted on Twitter and I was like, "Oh man, I was dancing like a fool to the first song." And then I forgot that another song comes on right after, fucking Jungle Boogie. And I was like, holy shit. So yeah, I was already it's like. really good music. Yeah, so I was like already grooving. And then I heard the other one. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> like I was having a fucking one man Yeah, dance the party. intro, the intro is Wipeout, right? <laughs> yeah, isn't, uh, it, isn't it Wipeout? No, 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 no. Um, no, because Wipeout is, uh, oh, Wipeout. <laughs> oh, you're right. The song is, uh, yeah, that's what it was. Uh, Miserloo. It's so unexpected. You know, you don't think that's gonna be. Yeah. <laughs> like, what a weird name. Yeah, because I, I think when the movie watch, I had a credits on, and yeah, it says Miserloo starts. Like, what a weird name, Miserloo. Yeah. Um, but yo, what's your experience with this movie? Uh, I want to ask. So, I was thinking about it because I don't remember the first time I saw Pulp Fiction. Um, I know I was at least aware of part of it. I know that I'd seen like the twist scene um, when I was in high school. Uh, and I know that I'd seen like bits and pieces here and there. And I had definitely seen the entire movie before uh, all the way through at least once. So I had seen it. I was familiar with it. Um, but I think I think I already... I, I came into it with a, a, an understanding of the plot, although, um, you know, I was paying more attention this time given that we were going to talk about it. But um, but I remember my earliest experience of Pulp Fiction having sort of seen bits and pieces here and there. And, and because there are three separate protagonists and because the it kind of jumps around... Um, I I feel like I had the sense of it for a long time that it was just sort of um, vignettes, that it was just sort of like an anthology of vignettes. And I didn't realize for a long time that the whole story actually does really come together. Yeah, yeah, it really does. And, and that the pieces gel a lot more than, than I had realized yeah, at first. Like, like you were thinking it was like a, well, maybe they tangentially kind of have something to do with it. But no, they all like directly affect each other, how the plot rolls, yeah. Right, it's very it's very solidly woven together. And well, I, I was uh, well, no, no. Continue what you were going to say, yeah, because I was just going to get into it. Oh no, I was just going to say it's funny because you know you opened with the Ezekiel thing, which when you look it up, if you look up Ezekiel twenty five seventeen on Google, um, it will Google will describe it as a song by Samuel L. Jackson, which is a really <laughs> funny way to describe it. So you've got the quote unquote lyrics, the the lines from that passage, and of course that's not really um, the actual. It's similar. It's kind of based on it, but the actual Ezekiel twenty five seventeen is just. I will wreak frightful vengeance upon them by furious punishment, and when I inflict my vengeance upon them, they shall know that I am the Lord. Yeah, it's just the last so that's part, kind yeah. of in there. Um, and I knew, you know, I haven't like memorized the whole Bible or anything, but I, I, I think he, he and I had known together, for a while like, earlier parts with it, it into make it a more fluid thing. Yeah. 
Right. Well, it's it's um hold on. I'm I'm interested in the anatomy of this. So Ezekiel 25:17 the song by Samuel L. Jackson. Um the path of the righteous man is beset on all sides. Um Yeah, that happens before by the iniquities of right? the selfish and and the tear yeah i'm not i'm not sure like, uh the, the, part that's the path in... of the righteous man that's not actually 17 that's not that sentence it comes before that because... no i don't even know if that's in ezekiel yeah. um okay so there's in proverbs there's the path of the righteous is like radiant sunlight the um so that you walk in the way of the good and heed the path of the righteous there's a lot of of proverbs about the path of the righteous and then there's some talmud stuff that isn't um definitely is not in ezekiel uh, and then blessed is he who, you know, that is coming from, I think, the Christian scripture that's, you know, blessed is blessed is he who is is very much like from the Gospels right. shepherds the weak through the valley of the uh, through the valley of darkness as a reference to Psalm 23 for he truly is his brother's keeper is a reference to Genesis uh, and the finder of lost children. I don't even know. And I will strike down on the. With great vengeance and furious anger, and that's where it starts to get into the actual Ezekiel. Yeah, it's like, what Bible um, are you reading, who, Sam? <laughs> right, and then this, um, those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. So that part was the one where I was like, you know, even even not knowing for sure that that was made up, I was like, wait a second, because if it's God talking, God right. does not <laughs> refer brothers. to humans as his brothers. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's just an interesting little kind of like biblical mashup that you know sounds sounds cool and i even he admits that he's just like "Uh, here's just some shit that i thought sounded cool (laughs) yeah i I thought it was a really interesting choice that tarantino made up a fictional bible passage rather than um you know rather than just taking an actual bible passage i I I think it works like because when you look at the original thing like it it is too short like for for that Mm -hmm. to work so it's kind of like you know, him be, taking his uh, artistic license as he does as a, yeah. as an artiste. Well, well, and I think I mean I I think if he'd wanted to, he could probably have found some passage in the entire Bible that would fit the purpose. But I think it was interesting that he was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna make something up and fit it to exactly what I want instead of digging through and trying to find something. So that was that was interesting. Well, in that sort of a metaphor of what he does as a filmmaker, could we not say? Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, cobbles stuff together. <laughs> now, now, my uh, relationship with Quentin is that, like, okay, so for me and my group of people who were the generation of the time, you know, uh, you know, just you in high school and college, right? Uh, like the ones mm. that I remember seeing all day, every day was Kill Bill one and two. That was like the oh shit, you gotta see Kill Bill. That's like the movie. It's fucking Quentin Tarantino. You gotta see that. So like that was my this is Quentin Tarantino now. So sort of thing and then like which is interesting I, yeah i feel like my group was all about like reservoir dogs and pulp right fiction. right because reservoir dogs and pulp fiction was like those were like the what well pulp fiction you definitely watch because that's like you know dudes game guns at each other but i think pulp fiction kind of like took the back seat a little bit because it is a little bit more uh, it's just people talking come on somebody hits my you know like kill bill came out my freshman year of high school so i think part of that may have also been that you know people the the people that i went to high school with were into the ones that they had like seen yeah. as kids you know inappropriately enough yeah. well see it, and that's what it is right like because i'm thinking back on it now like we also watched fight club now i went to high school like 2000 like 8 2009 so it's like it is funny that like we're the movies that we watched were like right at 
99, 2000 to 2002, 2000. Like, right? Like, that was right when everyone who was in high school was like, remember when we were all kids and we couldn't watch this? Now we watch this. You know, I think that was kind of like the feeling, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, but yeah. And, and so for this one, this was one that I uh, kind of got to a little later. Like I said, like, you know, I uh, definitely watched Kill Bill and then, you know, uh, Django when they came out and whatnot. But um, I wasn't exactly on Pulp Fiction. And I remember watching it and, like, it not really hitting me as hard, but, like, you know, as soon as I think twice about it, it's obviously because, you know, I was a dumb teenager, and I'm like, Quentin Tarantino's where's action, like, <laughs> you know, and what's all this confusing, languorous shit that he's doing where, like, I don't know who the good guys and the bad guys are, like, you know what I mean? But, you know, now that I look back on it now, it's actually, like, damn, I really appreciate this movie maybe a little bit more than uh, Pulp Fiction. Uh, I mean, uh, excuse me, than uh, Reservoir Dogs, honestly. I think he's... Uh, like legit developed as a storyteller just between the first and second film as I'm looking at how he's doing like okay the whole telling things out of sequence yeah that's you know purely a hey I'm a film guy and you know you know I, I gotta do some film tricks we're not just gonna tell a traditional story we're telling out of order like right there's that but like there is actual like there is a real benefit to the story being told in the way that it is that actually is more than just like charming it actually has like a really cool like payoff with how they do it you know what I'm saying um and in fact, I remember someone talking about, like, uh, somebody did do a rearrangement where they put the movie in order and it actually isn't as impactful. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. you know, hey, learn how to use in medias rest and all that, you know, fun storytelling tools, you know. Um, but yeah, so we, we start off the beginning of the movie, just like the first one. Actually, this movie kind of rhymes with the first one in a very interesting way. Uh Especially with the first and last scene. Because, again, we start in a diner with two uh, criminals. W well, with criminals having a conversation about... Uh, well, actually, in the first movie, they weren't talking about their job. Uh, and in this one, they kind of it's directly about that. Yeah, the, the other movie opens up with uh, talking about Like a Virgin. Yeah. And this one, they're, and tipping. they're, they're talking directly about robbing places. Yeah, and, and what I think is interesting is that they start off by saying, no, we don't rob banks. Uh, like, they, they're saying that they're not doing that. But honestly, the, the uh, reason he gives is actually like, actually, why wouldn't you just rob the bank? Because he says like, oh, banks are, you know, uh, same as looking stores. In fact, banks are easier because like, you know, they don't want to give, uh, like, they don't care. The money's insured anyway, so it doesn't matter. And it's like, okay, so why not take on a bank then? Well, I guess like, you know, we saw what happened uh, the first time someone in this universe tried to take on a bank. But, <laughs> yeah. but um, you know, I, I still think it's interesting just the way they talk about it, right? Like, so it's kind of like, they, like, sideways dismiss out of hand the idea of, like, uh, you know, taking on a bank. And then they start talking about how, like, you know, when they were doing liquor stores and how they were kind of, like, you know, dealing with the trouble of, like, ah, we got to deal with, like, foreigners sometimes who, you know, some Korean dude, he doesn't know what's going on and he takes it personally. If I just try to... And I'm like, okay, British man, like, you got to talk about, oh, these foreigners. <laughs> you know? Oh, played by um Homeboy from the first movie, uh... Uh, the main Tim Roth. Yeah, yeah. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, hey! And it's one of those things where, like, I almost, like, you know how when, you know, you can see the exact same face, but if, like, you know, they, ha they have, if there's, like, a different accent coming out of their mouth, like, it just throws you off that much where you're just like, who is this guy? I feel like I know who this guy is. And then as soon as I remember it, I was like, wow, like, he's, you know, just such a good, like, actor that it was just like, I really was on that thing where I was just like, I, it was that thing where it's just like, it's so obvious that this is someone that I know, but who the fuck is it? You know, who is the British guy? Yeah. Oh, oh shit. It's <laughs> so funny to me that I, and I think the characters, I know Honey Bunny's name is Yolanda. I can't remember if 
what is what is pumpkin's name it's like craig or something yeah but their actual names get mentioned yeah. at, at some point but they're but they're credited in you know they're credited and referred to always as pumpkin and honey bunny yeah, especially which the is, is just so funny to me yeah. yeah um but yeah uh what was it yeah because this was what i wrote it's like they remark on how they've been pulling liquor stores and how it's more dangerous than banks and how banks aren't even supposed to stop you so that's what made me write down well Wait, they just rob banks. What? <laughs> but then um, they get on to the part where they say, uh, you know, but restaurants are actually the smartest ideas. Like, everyone's going to be caught with their pants down. And, you know, when you watch that movie for the first time as a kid, you really have that moment of just like, oh, shit, that is a good idea. Damn, I would have never even thought of yeah. that. <laughs> Although nowadays, like, that's such a, you know, it's so funny how many things, like, become dated. Right, you can't do that really now. Nobody fast. has money just you, in their wallet. Nobody's got cash. <laughs> yeah. like, if you, like, like, holding up people, stealing people's wallets is just so pointless because nobody's carrying that much cash. Like, somebody might have, like, $20 or whatever right. on them. Nobody's carrying that much cash. And if you steal somebody's credit card... As soon as they get away from you, they're going to call and be like, hey, like, yeah, cancel it. Uh, you know, cancel it. And if you kill them or something so they don't <laughs> right. do that, then when they turn up murdered, you're, wherever you use that credit card is going to be able to, tr- like, there's just no good it, it, way to rob people anymore. <laughs> <laughs> now we just go online yeah. and, you know, uh, you know, you hack a fucking uh, Facebook accounts or some shit. Yeah, um, yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. So we we get that, and I love, I just love the the woman's delivery and just how manic she becomes. Any of you fucking breaks move, and I just love how it's like obvious that she wasn't prepared yet. Like he just jumps up and does it, and she's like, "Oh shit!" She like reaches in her purse and pulls out the gun last second. Like I love that. Like clearly, these guys are not like you know that. Uh, they're not that like you know they haven't exactly perfe- perfected it. Shit, you know what I mean? Like they're still kind of. Still kind of, you know, uh, rusty around the edges of doing shit, you know what I mean? Um, But yeah, that's when it... And Amanda Plummer is just so great. Amanda Plummer plays such a, like, great sort of heritage. Yeah, yeah. And and then we cut to Samuel L. Jackson and uh, John Travolta in great roles. uh, But I do, I do have to say, goddamn Samuel L. Jackson, the fucking star player in this movie. I love him so fucking much in this film. Like... He straight up should have won an award for this shit. Like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because like, you know, Vin, like, so, you know, the three sort of protagonists of the movie are Jules, Vincent, and Butch. And yeah. we, you know, are focused on them, you know, more or less at different points. But Jules is the only one of them who is like iconic. Like, everybody remembers. Samuel L. Jackson saying, does he look like a bitch? And say what again? Right. Like, and, watching the movie you know, is like, like ev- oh my god, is every one of his lines, like, a fucking uh, iconic? It really feels... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, Jules is one-third of the protagonist, but he really is, like, the face of the movie. He is the voice of the movie. Yeah. Um, so, th- it starts off going to a guy's house. Now, okay, now, that th- this is where we're gonna start to get into into some, uh, you know, the nitty-gritty of, of, of the text, right? So, um, 
it, oh, well, it starts off thinking about, like, Amsterdam, which I thought was kind of interesting, like, the way he's describing, like, how, like, oh, man, in Amsterdam, you can just, like, get weed, and it's cool to do And it's like, wow, that's just kind of slowly just what's happening in the United States now. Like, you know, it... It's, yeah, and it's not in Amsterdam anymore. Like, Amsterdam got tired of all the, uh, of all the American tourists just coming and getting sloppy, so they actually started changing the laws, at least, oh, I don't wow. know if they... If, how it is right Damn. now but the last i'd heard they'd started changing things where you have to like purchase a membership to a cafe if you want to use one you can't just like hop off the uh, plane from america and go in and start like you know doing whatever you want euro trip and uh uh fucking um uh what's his names uh the dudes that go to white castle they fucked it up for everybody <laughs> <laughs> you, you told too much so you're supposed to keep that shit on the low <laughs> um but yeah um now, now the conversation becomes how you know uh, Samuel Jackson like offhandedly mentions like uh, uh, how the, the man that they work for, Marcellus Wallace, is you know he's got a bit of a you know he's got a bit of a temper, and he fucked up this one dude threw him off of a balcony for uh, giving his wife a foot massage. Right, that, that's kind of what you know, which is so funny just in context of the Quentin Tarantino having a foot fetish yes. thing. <laughs> It's, a, yeah, it, it's like Quentin Tarantino, you know, right, like as soon as, you know what it would mean if you were giving yes, somebody a foot exactly. massage. So. so it's like as soon as you have that <laughs> rolling around in your brain, this is like, I mean, I guess it was like to someone. This could be, and yeah, to you, maybe that seems like a more serious thing. Like, <laughs> Also, I'm pretty sure like the first shot of Uma Thurman is of her bare feet. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. Like, <laughs> I just I love it. I love his willingness to be horny on me and it benefits all of us. So um but yeah, what's interesting about them is like these two criminals, but they're all about like punctuality and like respectability. You know, they're wearing fucking suits and you know they don't want to come uh, get there too early, you know, so they're like, oh let's hang back for a minute. But it it does make me ask the question of like <clears throat> like the way it unfolds is yes, of course, very threatening, and it's a great just uh, character moment for Samuel L. Jackson's character, and you just want to watch him as he, you know, has these fucking dudes just, like, shaking in their fucking, you know, suits, just being like, oh, what the fuck is he gonna do? Like, there's that enjoyment of it, but, like, on the second, on second look, I do kind of think about, like, okay, so there is the thing that people say is, like, oh, what's what's in the case, man? What's in the case? Now, th that doesn't concern me, because I understand what he's doing, like, from that perspective, right? Like, the point is, like, oh, here's this thing that everyone wants, and what is it? Is it well, whatever you think it would it's be. It's a MacGuffin. Want, you know? But it's, it, like, it's not that 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 uh, got me hooked up on, on the scene. The reality that gets me hooked up on it is, like, why is this happening in the first place? Like, who are these college frat, fratty douche boy, douchebag boys who are somehow in cahoots with this fucking black gangster dude? Like, what was it that got well, them, you know, hooked up? Like, because I don't... So and it doesn't seem I, to be all of them because uh, uh, Phil Lamar's character... BT Dubs fucking Phil Lamar from Bad TV. Oh, my God. But, yeah, like, he doesn't I know, seem, I know. I right? forgot that was him. <laughs> and, yeah. in fact, no, uh, in Mad TV, there was a... Uh, one of the earliest, like, parodies they did was Gulp Fiction. And they did a parody where, like, they reenact that that infamous scene. And Phil Lamar's there again. He, like, falls down. He goes, like, oh, my God, not again. <laughs> oh. But, but of course, the other one we were like, "Wait, don't you totally die though?" <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, what were you gonna say? Uh, well, well, so I was gonna say I found that unclear also, and what 
I've seen, you know, other people describe them as is just thieves. They're just thieves. And my guess mm. would be the the idea is that they, you know, because we see Marcellus at a club, right? Yeah. He's at a club. He's got his briefcase with him for whatever reason, for whatever reason. And these guys somehow managed to steal the briefcase. And one of them does but, have a gun you know, that course, we find out later on. So it's like they must be involved in some shit, you know. Right. Like, you know, these guys, whoever they are, they're not, you know, who they are isn't that important, but they are thieves. They see something that seems to be valuable, manage to steal it. But Marcellus, you know, is able to track them down and send his henchmen after them. So my question um, becomes, what was up with the punctuality where he's like, oh, make sure that we go at 730, make sure we're there at 730. Like that made me think that they had some sort of business meeting because he doesn't knock. They just open the door. And they're there. So I'm like, yeah, wait, are they expecting I, I don't them? Know. I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. Because that might be something that, like, there is some meaning that we're just not noticing. Or it might have just been this sort of, like, character moment of, you know, these guys are very, you know, fastidious about what precisely they're doing. And they want to just do everything just so. And, and they have a plan. And they're going to stick to the plan more so than... um like a legit motivation. You know, like so. the idea is because that you're seeing the take... characters playing out how they act, right? Like this is how they take right, care because of Because the thing is like later Right, because later on they kidnap Marvin, they take Marvin and they're taking him somewhere. Oh, so maybe true. they yeah, were, they, you know Yeah, I don't what were they gonna do? <laughs> I I'm not a hundred percent I think potentially they were gonna go take him to Marcellus. So I, I think the idea is that um you know, they they had an appointment with Marcellus after that, and they just wanted to time everything perfectly so that there weren't any awkward lulls. And the oh. guy, I think the guy who's sitting down eating fast food uh, is, I think he was the uh, the other cop from the end of Reservoir Dogs, oh, wow. wasn't he? <laughs> it, it, yeah, it, that was the other thing I was going to ask. I was like, who the hell gets a burger at 7 a.m. in the morning? <laughs> Yeah, like, what burger places? So if you've been up all night, you know. Goddamn California. <laughs> yeah. There's two main black characters in the movie, and it's Marcellus Wallace and Samuel L. Jackson. And you know, uh, Marcellus Wallace especially gets the you know scary black guy role. But um, I was starting to think about it, and I was like, wait, does Marcellus Wallace do anything actively bad in this movie? Because, like, sure, sure, CD Underbelly, like, I get that. But, like, if you're just to take into, like, uh, you know, uh, take into account the idea of, okay, this is how this part of society lives, right? You know, you do business the way you have to do it. If someone screws you over, then it's like, all right, I'm not having that shit. You know what I'm saying? But this is like, he doesn't do anything to anybody that's, like, screwing them over or ripping them off. In fact, the whole first scene is about how, hey, why are you trying to fuck him like a bitch? Why are you trying to screw him over? We saw what you did. Time for you to pay the piper. You know what I mean? Like, it's not him, like, oh, just, you know, throwing his weight around, just fucking with people just because. And, in fact, the whole, um, the buildup of the character of Marcellus Wallace partially comes from, um, the hearsay that we get about him, right? Of, uh, oh, uh... About him throwing the guy out the window and then yeah. that, you know, that's questionable. Mia says that didn't happen. Right, like, oh, so. he just did that just because of a foot massage? Because that was what the whole conversation was about. Like, wow, he, he just overreacted over a fucking foot massage? What the hell? But yeah, as we find out later, um, when he when he has the conversation with Uma Thurman, uh, it's not because of that. Now, we don't know exactly what it's because of, but the way that Uma Thurman, like, specifically gives the detail of, like, no, literally the only time he touched me was to give me a handshake at my wedding. So it literally couldn't have made sense for that to be the reason. But it's like... But he did do it for some reason, though. But it's just interesting how the hearsay got twisted around 
in a way that makes him look, you know, even more irrational than maybe he really was. Because like I said, again, you know, we cut to the next scene, right? Uh, uh, your boy, your boy and mine, um, um, Mr. Die Hard himself, Bruce Willis, uh, the, the action, the action star, what's the word, uh, the specific phrase, uh, the, the, the average man's action star, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. this man is, he's, a, he's an everyman. Yeah, yeah. But I have never seen a man so aggressively balding in my life. <laughs> like, did you get a look at his melon? Just the way it's just like... got all that testosterone. He's got all that testosterone. I, but yeah, no. but you know, I, you got to respect the way he just rocks it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, no. I mean, I think I think Bruce Willis is a very good-looking guy, and uh, and I think he looks very cool. And it, I've got nothing bad to say about Bruce but Willis. It, I just find <laughs> it interesting that it's just like you don't see a lot of dudes like balding in a movie. You know what I mean? It's either like oh they're bald, or they're, it's specifically in a way where it's just like oh you know they stylized it that way, so that's kind of like that. But he has that like everyday look of like hey, I'm in the middle of it, but yeah, you know I, I'm this boxer bruiser. I don't give a fuck about looks. You know what I mean? Like it's that sort of thing. right. And if, I mean if you look even at like an earlier, if you watch Hudson Hawk, which is so good. I never Wait, saw that. Have one. we done Hudson Hawk? No. Oh, you've got to watch Hudson Hawk, I, dude. No, Hudson Hawk is. It's great. one of those movies that I remember hearing. Oh, this is so bad. But then, like, it's one of those things where, like, wait, were critics, like, not taking it the right way in the same way, you know, uh, uh, like, a Starship It's cheesy. Sort of it's, like, intentionally. Yeah. Yeah, it's intentionally goofy. It's supposed yeah, to be so goofy. Maybe it's I need really to check that fun. one out. Yeah, for real. You do, yeah, you need to watch Hudson Hawk. But Bruce Willis isn't that one. That one's a little earlier, and he's still got, like, more hair, but he has a very, like, receding hairline. And it's nice. It's, like, just, like, I feel like there's a lot of, I and, you know, I think... I appreciate this seeing like just average looking guys. For sure. That that's like, part of it. You right? know, yeah. like like when John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson like take their shirts off, like I mean, especially like John Travolta like looks like a middle aged dude taking his shirt off and Samuel L. Jackson's like in good shape, but even he, he doesn't look like he's like a bodybuilder that yeah. didn't drink water for three. Yeah, days. and I love how and, like, their hairstyles do look like they're not necessarily cool. You know, like, right. oh, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Dr. Volta, uh, Vincenzo. Like, his hair is all, like, sort of ratty and hanging down. Like, it's kind of like, you know, it feels a little clear that it's, like, a wig. But, like, in that way where it's just like, you know, this dude is a... Just the way his character is revealed is sort of like, uh, just like... He doesn't like it when anyone, like, oh, I don't like it when you tell me what to do too aggressively. Don't do that. Even though, like, you're in this fucking business where you're taking, you know, orders from Oh, me. I know. That... I think the wolf telling him off there was so satisfying because it was like that kind of attitude of somebody like you're in an emergency. I'm trying to tell you what to do. I'm trying to help you. And you're going to get mad because I didn't say, please. Like, can you, can you fuck right. off? Yeah. Oh my God. So like, that was so like infuriating. His hairstyle reflects that sort of fucking shitty attitude. His shitty hairstyle reflects that shit. Yeah. And like Samuel Jackson. Now the, 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 you know, the Jerry curls, uh, were in, in the late eighties, but I think it was about by around. Yeah. By the time NWA was no more, I think the Jerry curls were about, out. So that's like 1991. They, they were pretty, yeah. They were they passe. Were and so it's kind of like, you know, they're not like inherently the coolest dudes through how they like sort of look, but it's about how they fucking, you know, their presence, right? Like as menacing motherfuckers that it's just like, it doesn't matter. Shut the fuck up about my haircut. You're going to respect me. <laughs> right, right, yeah. But yeah, um, so... After, so now here's my thing, right? Going going back to sort of uh, maybe uh, throw a little throw a little respect on Marcellus Wallace's name. 
Now, all right, how does the scene open? It's this long, you know, uh, you know, show of Bruce uh, Willis's face as uh, uh, Marcellus Wallace is talking to him, you know, and saying like, you know, giving him the money and saying like, hey, you go down in the fifth, you know, uh, and you're going to feel a little sting uh, before you decide to like throw the fright. That's just pride fucking with you, man. You got to fucking, uh, you know, get over that shit because you're, he basically is like dressing him down saying like, hey, you're an over the hill boxer. Like I'm doing you a favor by throwing some cash your way, you know, just go out, just go out in the, uh, you know, t- take a dive. And you'll live relatively comfortable with this money that I'm setting you up with, right? And so, now, Mm. off the rip, it looks like, you know, hey, someone doing shady business. Like, this guy's obviously the bad guy. We're not showing his face first. You know, like, you're already set up to be like, oh, scared of this dude. But then, peep how it plays out, though, right? At first, it's like, okay, the reason why things are thrown into action, right, is because Bruce Willis doesn't, doesn't take the dive. You know, he fights and ends up knocking the dude out and accidentally killing him. But the point being that, uh, by the way, this uh, this re- this review gets into spoilers. Uh, <laughs> in case you, just yeah, in case you didn't as know. always, like anybody who's anybody who's listened to the show, like, <laughs> right. we don't we don't hold back. We don't, right, hold, we back. don't hold our tongues. But yeah, Roger Ebert, I am not. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's saying you know uh, you know basically Marcellus Wallace, you're, you're don't be a dumbass. Probably gonna lose like a chump anyway. Take the money. And what Bruce Willis does is, like you said, he he ends up actually, you know, fighting as much as possible, ends up uh, beating the dude down and then, like, killing him. And then afterwards, he, like, fucking jets out. But the thing that happens after next is that he uh, goes to a phone and calls up his buddy and goes, like, yeah, you know, you put all the money on me winning, right? Like, all right, boom, we're going to fucking... You know, we're going to clean house. And- right. So it's it wasn't just because I think that, you know, you often have that boxer narrative of like, you know, the boxer has been told to take a dive, but his his pride and his honor. Right. But it's not just his pride and honor. It's his pride and honor. Plus, he bet on himself right. knowing that he could win and that he's going to get more money that so, way. So it's him not only betting on himself winning, but also he took the bribe. So it's like, you son of a bitch. Like, I would be mad, too. Like, as soon as you step it back. Was, yeah, it was absolutely a double cross. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So like it's so interesting. Like as you watch it, just going through narratively, you're on. You feel like you should be on Bruce Willis' side because well, here's this you know big dude, big boss man, big fucking uh uh um who's dude from Daredevil uh <laughs> you know what I'm t- Kingpin yeah this fucking Kingpin yeah. motherfucker you know about to come down on you. Well, he's the little guy, of course he want to like be on his side. But as soon as you think about it, it's like wait no, you're the piece of shit. And it's like no, Butch Butch absolutely was like <laughs> in the wrong yeah. here. <laughs> Especially because he killed the dude. Like, he killed the dude. Somebody he died. Like he, yeah, he was just like, yeah, he's in the cab, which uh, I the cab driver's name is Esmeralda, and I feel like that is a pun. Because, you know, like, I, well, so, you know, there's like, it's, so I'm going to go ahead and say it just so I'm not being obscure for anybody who doesn't know, but for anybody who doesn't know, the word gypsy is actually considered a slur. Oh, yes, yes. So it's, it's Roma, not, yeah. Not great to say, but there's something called a gypsy cab. Oh, my God. And Esmeralda <laughs> is the name of the Roma character in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Right. So anyway, I thought I thought that was probably an intentional like pun and there. It was, interesting. Um, but, it was kind of interesting in that, too, because like... It threw me off for a second because she is really interested in talking to him about killing someone, which was weird. Yeah. And it's like, I guess, and she's like, the bit with her is just, he doesn't really go anywhere. It's yeah. just, here's this cab driver who seems to be really interested in murder. Yeah. And it threw me off because like, I, I remember watching it 
like, I, I misremembered some shit, and I thought the cab driver ended up being his girlfriend that he hung out with afterwards. But no, that was a completely different person. She's a French woman who just, was with yeah, him the no, whole time. Yeah, no, she's just this random, she's this femme fatale who has nothing to do with the plot yeah. other than that she... And nothing to gain. Yeah, like, she really doesn't impact the like he could have he could have gotten a cab ride from somebody who didn't speak at all and it wouldn't like the only thing is it gives him a chance to sort of process and say like okay i didn't know what killed somebody oh yeah. well you know like it, it's it, it's basically an excuse for him to to talk about it while being you know a somewhat interesting little side character because yeah, it, it had me going like well what's her backstory <laughs> why is she so interested in this so yeah so butch goes to the hotel where he meets up with his girlfriend who is such a weird and infuriating character. Yes. Fabienne <laughs> is so annoying. <laughs> and I feel like everybody, I almost feel bad dumping on her because I feel like everybody, including Butch, dumps Absolutely, on Fabienne right? because she's... Like, he is so mean to her. Like, okay, on a certain level, you understand why because, like, I mean, guys are about to kill him. Maybe he's a little on edge. <laughs> but, like, at the same time... Well, he's just, like, casually mean to Yeah, her. like, later he's on. Not, it's not even, especially like... Especially later on, where, yeah, it's just, like, the shower scene, and he just, like, basically calls her a mongoloid. And, oh, well, no, she says mongoloid, but he's, like, talking, basically repeating her accent. He, he calls her an R-word, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's, like, doing an offensive... Yeah, and it's, like, it's, like, I don't blame him, because we get the flashback... To the father's watch. And that's when we get get to see Christopher Walken. Oh, boy. (laughs) Christopher Walken. Yeah, that, that that flashback. And I think this was one of the bits and pieces that I just, when I was only seeing, like, scraps of the movie here and there, I didn't realize how it connected. Like, I didn't realize that the little boy was Bruce Willis. But, yeah, that's that's such a great scene of of Christopher Walken, you know, telling. Yeah, I love, this man is so, like, such a character actor and such a fucking unique thing. And I, like, I always think about his voice. It's like, where did this motherfucker come from? And, and you know, when you look it up, he's German and Scottish. Um, and, like, his, his uh, mom and dad are German and Scottish. And, you know, they moved to New York when he was young. And I was like, whoa, is that the accent that comes out <laughs> through Germany it's, and Scotland? I don't think by way what of I New heard York? about... <laughs> well, what I heard about Walken. Christopher Walken was... What I heard about him was that he, and I don't think this like completely explains him, but that when he started his acting career, he would take all of the punctuation out of his scripts so that he didn't know where the intended punctuation wow. was and he would just sort of say the words however it seemed right Now, to that him. is a very fascinating, um, like, you know, actor technique thing because I, I remember learning about that, like, you know, actor, like, well, how would you really say this if you don't have the help of, you know, this? Like, l- let me know how you really, you know, vocalize that feeling, right? Um, but that, that, and that's fascinating, but like, uh, I just want to bring up, like, I'll never forget, um, uh, my favorite word that he is, that he has said in a movie. Cause I remember it, Do you ever watch Batman Returns? Uh, yes, but I, it, I can't In the movie he the plays, specifics. uh, Max Shrek and it, it, he has a line where he says, uh, uh, but these awards that I've received are mere baubles. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. Like, you know, the script writer <laughs> wrote that specifically to make him say that word. Cause that word just fits so weird yeah. in his mouth. They are but baubles. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> and, but you know, he has that really, you know, a really energized cartoon voice up here. But then when he needs to say something serious, he has gravel to it. Like this. It's just like, where? How? Where do these voices come from? They're so different, you know? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, back no, to the movie. He's, that, 
Yeah, yeah. So so we've we've seen the, you know, how precious this watch is and right. how it lived in asses before, for right. seven years to get to him. And <laughs> and yeah, so like I don't blame Butch for being that angry when he finds that, that the watch has been left. Right. Um I don't blame him for that. But more just the casual meanness, like when you know Fabia when he tells Fabian that he'd like punch her in the stomach and he calls her an R. Yeah, like, and, you're like, a boxer, don't don't say that like, lightly. Dude, yeah, why like... <laughs> why being like that to her but also but also she's so annoying like the whole like like whenever you know come on now (laughs) i mean i get like i feel like she just kind of reminds me of like a little kid in a way that's really annoying like she like when he's like come on we gotta go we gotta go and she's like but i want pancakes it's like yes that was the thing like especially like it's it's a two-pronged thing. You're like, you're annoyed at her, like, not seeming to understand, like, his energy in the situation. But you're also annoyed at him for being just so terse with her to be like, we gotta go right now. Let's go. Da, da, da. And this is like, could you at least, like, explain something? Because there's a point where he's just like, oh, she's like, what happened to your nose? He's like, oh, it's nothing. It's, it's like, no, you have a big-ass cut on your nose. Don't just try to act like it's all good. Like, what the fuck? I like, think the way he tries I, to treat I her, think... like, she's literally, like, it's like, like, she's sexy born yesterday. Just like, you're the sexy thing that comes with me. Now, come on already you know like not treating her like a yeah person i mean like, I, I guess like you know i i think for me given that he's like fleeing for his life at the end and is trying to get them out of the city as quickly as possible true. like as a parent this is gonna sound weird but like as a parent having spent so much of my life now going like <laughs> come on no we have to go now no stop asking me questions we gotta go we gotta go come on get get going stop stop stalling stop asking me about random unrelated things <laughs> like i i just feel so much for butch like i don't appreciate his casual meanness to her but i do f- completely sympathize with when he gets frustrated because she's standing around but i had to paint <laughs> you're right it's like <laughs> It's it's this disconnect with how she seems to be reacting. Like, she should know something's up, right? Like, about the boxing match? Like, that wasn't on the news or anything like that? Like, you didn't hear about, you know? I think, well, she only seems to watch, like, old movies. Oh, yeah. Like, (laughs) motorcycle movies. It's funny to me. (laughs) Yeah, it's also, it's funny to me. I was thinking about this because we also see Lance, the drug dealer, watching TV at one point. And he's watching an old black and white movie. And... I, I think this is partly uh, an aesthetic thing on Quentin Tarantino's point. It's also probably it's probably a, a mix of you know aesthetic choices, artistic choices, and practical choices because they're probably watching things that are you know public domain. Yeah. But it it's so I feel like, they, and I watch old movies. Like I do watch old movies, but I feel like people in movies and on TV watch old movies like old yeah they're always watching weird older shit yeah because that's what you can get for free (laughs) right then people in real life do it's like like how often have you sat down i mean and this is like you know we've literally like you know we're watching mel brooks movies from the 60s but how often but it's like we're watching good old movies how often are you sitting there watching some like Like, random right yeah yeah some like random period drama from 1930 (laughs) like i see that on movies where somebody's watching some like random shitty costume drama from like 1935 and it's like why are you watching that that looks so boring the point is that you're not supposed to notice that right it's like oh it's just a tv that's on and so on and but it's just like you as you try to like you know put your mind into the characters you do have that moment of like wait what the fuck are you watching like why (laughs) right it becomes it becomes distracting even in it's trying to be uh um casual what's the word uh no what's the word i'm thinking of it's like um shit the word for non-distracting and now like now i'm getting like 
Yeah, I think unobtrusive. Yeah, I think that's the word I think you're thinking of. Yeah, yeah, is maybe the word. Yeah. Speaking of Quentin Tarantino being horny on Maine, the the whole conversation between uh, the the conver- like when Bruce gets back, he's literally just killed somebody with his bare right. hands. He's gonna be fleeing for his life. Yeah. And he gets in there and they start having this sort of discursive. Also, Quentin Tarantino has a thing about Madonna, I think. Yeah, like, this is the second Madonna. movie so far where he where he's yeah. put her name in a character's mouth. <laughs> but um but you know, but uh, Butch and Fabian are or Fabian are talking about she's like saying she wish she had a pot belly and how sexy that is, and they and they and they have like a five minute <laughs> conversation about this, and it's like doesn't have anything to do with anything as far as i can tell other than quentin tarantino wanting to talk about his fetish yeah exactly <laughs> like, just like uh, okay i guess this girl is into this all right <laughs> like it just it's like that what what did that what did that have to do with anything and yet i feel like so often those those like random conversations just like the um you know the madonna conversation the the um the like a virgin conversation right. in Reservoir Dogs. It's like that is pretty iconic to Quint. Like if you ask people what scenes you remember from Pulp Fiction of the non Samuel L. Jackson relate, mm. like you're, they're going to remember everything Samuel L. Jackson right. said, and they're going to remember the the adrenaline shot, and that is going to be up there yeah, too. But like, shit, like probably oh, more the than Royale the with other cheese, ones. you know, like. <laughs> yeah, the royal juice. But yeah, but like the uh but but this that scene, that conversation with Fabian is probably gonna be pretty up there because at the very least it's memorable. Yeah, yeah. Um so after uh what or is before yeah, he gives him the money to go down in the fight, uh but yeah, Bruce Willis' story kinda comes in. Actually doesn't come into like his story doesn't really happen until like about the hour and five minute mark. So um right. before that Right, oh. so so what actually in the movie what happens right after the money is then Jules and Vincent show up. We we see Vincent have a really brief interaction with Butch, and then Vincent goes to his dealer. And they're dressed and in different clothes, I so you say, can tell that like it's a different time of the day. You know, that's kind of like right. the thing, cause they're wearing kind of like silly light clothes with short shorts. So it's like, okay, what, what right, happened? Right, which now I and actually then? didn't. Yeah, which I actually hadn't noticed. And I want to say real quick, credit where credit is due. I am right here using a timeline that is in a really great article called The Hidden, the Real Hidden Genius of Pulp Fiction. It's like a blog Ooh. post called The Real Hidden Genius of Pulp Fiction. And it is by Justin Kaunacki on his website. So it's Justin, K-O-W-N-A-C-K-I dot com. Um, and so I would recommend that if you want a nice... Uh, it's a good article, and also the timeline's helpful. Both he's got a chronological timeline of what happens, sort of quote unquote, in in real life, like in the universe of the movie, as well as what we see in order. Right. And you know what's funny? I remember, uh, like, I'm remembering, you know, when I like remembering seeing it the first time as a dumb kid who's not understanding what's happening. And I remember, like, I didn't even really 100 percent like put together that Uma Thurman was Marcellus's wife. It was like a thing that like I knew but I didn't like no no cuz you never really see them, we don't the see them together. Yeah, until like one scene the- where she's like wearing big glasses where- and I didn't even know it was her. Like- right, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like the only time we see them together she's unrecognizable cuz she's in like a swim yeah. cap or in stuff. one other scene where she opens the door cuz it's right after the the boxing match happens and she opens the door and gives and casually says to uh Jules like 
hey, you know, I really appreciate you. You know, we had a great time last night. That was really cool. Like, you know, just to be like, oh, that's what time it, it is now relative to what happened, you know? <laughs> but, uh, right, yeah, right. the scene where, but she's just like opens the door and then they walk past her to talk to Marcella. So, like, I, it doesn't even register to me that, like, oh, him and his wife are in there right now, you know? Like, yeah. Um, but, of course, now that I'm older, I kind of see, like, oh, hey, that's interesting. Like, this casual interracial relationship. Huh, all right. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, there are two, there yes. are at least two interracial marriages that yes. we see. And, and, okay, and now I'm going to bring up, you know, because since you brought it up, now I kind of want to talk about this now because, uh, you know, uh, I think, like, you know, Marcellus, uh, you know, respects his wife, you know what I'm saying? There's no, like, you know, racist shit or nothing like that going on between them. But, uh, old boy, uh, your boy... Oh, Quentin... my God. Quentin Tarantino's <laughs> character in this is so awful. Yes. It's like, he's clearly one of those white people who's like, well, my wife is black, therefore, right. that gives me... That right. gives me leave to say the N-word as much as I want, 20 right. to 30 times an hour. In front That's of fucking fine. Samuel Jackson, I was like, hey, wait a fucking minute. <laughs> I was like, you... Like, dude, you look like, too comfortable. But you, you know, okay, oh, okay, yeah, that was my first note. I'm like, all right, Quentin, you trying to act, all right, you trying to be a movie star in the '90s, okay, Quentin. You know, he, he saw him trying to act his ass off, but it was so funny because uh, when I saw him in the scene, all I could think about was fucking Spike Lee and how Spike Lee, you know, I- I injects himself into his movies, and they go like, wow, there's all this great acting talent, and oh, who's that white guy who obviously can't act? Oh, the director. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but what I think is interesting about the similarity between them, because I also, you know, I remember a lot of people saying like, you know, like, hey, you know, who do, who does he think he is uh, to have, you know, because we know he wrote this and we know he's writing the N-word. So who does this white guy think he is, you know, saying the N-word? That's fucked up, you know, but it's like one of those things where it's just like, if you take it that one layer deep, like, at least for me, it always kind of felt like, and I think we talked about this last time, that revealing, right, of like, no, this is how... Uh, white dudes in California, not just in Alabama, okay, not just in the bad southern white states. There are like, racist white dudes in, right. you know, <laughs> in, in like, blue counties. Yeah, in California, know. in, you know, fucking SoCal, you know what I mean? Um, and so that's what I always kind of, like, it was the same way where I had felt that, you know, I, I remember people giving Spike Lee, uh, Spike Lee's character Mookie and Do the Right Thing, I remember people, critics kind of giving that shit to be like, oh, why would you, you know, you're the director and you're in this role, so you must be trying to say that it's right for him to do what he did. It's like, no, 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 that's not how this works. Like, like casting, this is a movie about like, real directors people. cast themselves as characters that they think it would be fun to play, not as characters that are them. Yeah. Unless they're like a real really really bad ham-fisted like tommy was so right did that <laughs> spike Let him lee get is his... not tommy was so <laughs> right let him get his uh well slightly more elevated alfred hitchcock on you know <laughs> yeah, but, yeah but like i said it's like it's one of those things where it's like just because the director is playing the part like people have this you know it's that tone argument where you're not really seeing not really stepping back and look at the picture you're just saying well why is the director doing this or is he trying to say that that's okay did he just want to say the n-word a lot it's just like i mean he's saying it a lot in this scene which does it take will, you a back it a will never <laughs> it will never ever cease to frustrate me how people don't understand that a character is not a character saying or doing something is not the same as the artist or the director or the writer saying right. or doing something. Right. And and conversely, I feel like also um I, I feel like also people 
like people will not only condemn artists for having fictional characters who do bad things, but they will also sometimes either like they'll give an artist or a writer or somebody credit for a character like they'll or they will assume that an artist that a writer or somebody is like a good person because of a character mm. saying or doing something, but it's like ignoring how that character is presented. Like if you have a character mm. who is say, a, and I'm having a hard time thinking of a specific example now, but I know this is something that's come up too. Whereas like if you have a character who's like a feminist and she's saying feminist things and then the character is like presented as being really like irritating and shitty and everybody hates her. Yeah. That, that artist is not expressing a feminist viewpoint just because the character is that artist oh. is saying feminists are annoying. You know, mm. it's like, it, it's like that. Like you have to look at what the authorial intent is and how things yeah. are presented. And, and you know, not what? I, just, I'll yeah. actually give a, a, a more nuanced example of, of that. Um, of someone who I actually think did it very well, uh, Dear White People. Uh, the main character in that movie, is, you know, she's a, a black woman who's very, like, you know, uh, black pro-revolutionary stuff, but, you know, she also has, like, you know, hypocrisies about her, like, uh, you know, the fact that she ends up inciting inciting a thing that ends up, uh, like, that originally that somebody thought, like, a white person did or something to that effect. You know, I don't want to give that away because we're not talking about that yet. But it's, like, it's in a way where it, it it actually is like works within the story and doesn't feel like it's undermining her principles it feels like it's undermining her as a character who is flawed it feels like well i need to do that you know what i'm saying and so it's right. like i just feel like there's more layers to stories and it feels like people don't you know want to look into that because people want the easier answer you know what i mean and but I think that like you know in that specific instance I think people should check out the movie Dear White People because I think that is a, a a cool case of you know something like this movie is still like saying that you know yes black people are still being fucked over and yes it is right for people to have these concerns but it's like this character doing what they're doing in their moment of desperation speaks to something about like their specific character in that moment it's not necessarily talking about you know what I'm saying like oh and right. well this person is imperfect that means being a feminist must be bad like you know what I mean it's right like. like if I, I think that what people need to realize there is such a weird thing and I like I've even seen like younger people I don't want to make this a generational thing but I've seen younger people saying like um you know that that, that like just getting angry that any character even an explicitly bad character does or says bad things and condemning works of fiction for having characters who aren't perfect people mm-hmm. and it's like you know, it, it's just really, you know, if you're a good writer, your characters are going to be, you know, complex human complex. beings with both yeah. good points and bad points, right? Like you were saying with the character in Dear, in Dear White People, like, that's how you write a character. If you have, you know, if yeah. your character is either a, a mouthpiece who is behaving a perfectly. A perfect paragon of, yeah, that's or, boring. Or, that's propaganda. Or an exemplary you know? <laughs> of everything that is wrong with the world, then you're right. fucking Ayn Rand and right. you're a terrible writer. <laughs> you know? Right. Like that's that. what Ayn Rand did. That's why Ayn Rand is fucking unreadable. I had to read Atlas Shrugged oh, in high school. Lord. And it was like every, every character who <laughs> agrees with Ayn Rand is beautiful and tall and strong and mentality. 
intelligent and perfect and creative. And every character who's a collectivist is whiny and small and ugly and doesn't have good sex. And it's just, right. oh you might my as well God, say, like, so... The good guys have the white hats on and the bad guys have the black hats on. Like... Right. Yeah, it's, it's just ridiculous. So, you know, I mean, I, I think there are sort of frustrating... Frustrating things all around with that, but man, while we got far afield, but yeah, so Quentin Tarantino playing a character who says the N-word all the time, it's like, I'm not sure, I don't know, I feel like Quentin Tarantino definitely as a person can be really cringy. Yes, um, absolutely. I and I, like... I will admit to that because even like even though I love Django, like his there was some promotional interview he did like around it that was like so awkward where he was like trying to be like cool cuz he was on like BET or something like that. And I was just like oh, I saw God. that. I I it was so hard to watch. It was like I was literally physically cringing. It was so hard yeah. to watch. Um but yeah, I mean, I think that you know, there's nuance especially when it comes to something like a white person saying a word with his mouth that as white people we should not say. It's like, on the one hand, yeah, your character, you know, you, you are probably not, you're you're probably showing this character as a shitty person. Like, you're not valorizing yeah, this and, character. Yeah, right, and that's the on thing, the other, like, it's not like, uh, the, he's a fucking, well, no, he's not a scumbag drug dealer. It was the other dude who isn't a white dude in a bathroom. He's some kind of scumbag. But, I mean, yeah, he's, he's still a piece of yeah, like, it's so clear. Like, yeah. Right. He seems to be living off of his wife. Like, yes. he seems to his, be his just black useless. wife. <laughs> right. And so it's like, on the, I, and I, I think it's like, you have to look at patterns because on the one hand, it's like, I don't condemn Tarantino for any specific movie or any, you know, where a character's doing this. On the other hand, looking at the overall arc of his movies, it's like, man, you really, really like having an excuse to say that. Right. And <laughs> it's, it starts to feel, because there are times when it's just like, look, like, uh, the I'm way a the white person dialogue. from Georgia. I've been around racist white people. I've been around people who, because I'm also white, think that they can say shit in front of mm, me. Mm. And even those people, even like, even like the most like I've been around like racist redneck waitresses who were complaining like who were complaining about a table they have using some really nasty language. And even those people don't say the N word as much as yeah. white Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, characters. so it, it feels like it, it's like it feels like it's an over like doing it like for sure because it's like okay i understand him like saying the end but like the way the dialogue plays out is he goes like the first fucking thing he says like hey does it say dead nigger storage on the front of my house does it say dead nigger storage and it's like all right all right like yeah right. like yeah. i can't act like that doesn't go like you're saying it you're just going to say it too quickly too much like like nice guy yeah, Eddie is a perfect I, it example just, it, of like that's a racist dude like showing how racist he is in it but he didn't just go niggity 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 you know what i mean like yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it just starts to feel like enough already, guy. We get yeah, it. We get that, it. Okay? Yeah. That's we get how it, it feels like. You don't, like you it, don't have to keep doing that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It feels like, like, I'm going to show how much this guy is an asshole. Don't you get it? Because he's saying it so much. It's like, okay, but I can get it the first time you do it, bro. Like, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It just, you, you don't need to subject the audience to it that much. Right. Um, right. But so Jules and Vincent show up. And Vincent goes to buy drugs from yes. Lance, who is yeah. this like ginger, ginger, like he looks like a skinny ginger, the dude from the <laughs> Big Lebowski. Right, he looks yeah. like a skinny ginger dude. Um, that, well, you have to say the dude because then otherwise it just sounds like I'm saying he's a skinny ginger dude. But <laughs> he, dude. um, 
And it's funny, there are two Arquette sisters in this movie. Uh, Rosanna Arquette plays Lance's Whoa. wife. There's the some more, confusion. More the piercings, there's, yeah. Right, there's two women, and there's some confusion over which one's his wife and which isn't because he's, like, fucking with with Vincent. Yeah. But Rosanna Arquette plays the drug dealer's wife, and then Alexis Arquette is one of the thieves that gets gunned down, the one who's hiding in the bathroom. Uh, um, but yeah. uh, Rosanna Arquette, who has a bunch of facial piercings, and then this other girl who does not have so many fin- facial piercings are talking to Vincent. Um, and Rosanna Arquette, it's like close up on her face and she's talking about the piercings and like being very erotic about yeah, it. It makes every uh, bit, of, bit of your body feel like the tip of a penis with the sensuality. It's like, all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've had, uh, I've had uh, several piercings at various points in my life and, and I don't think any of them, like when I had like ear piercings, Um, it did, like, I had a bunch of cartilage piercings in my ear for a while. It did not make my ear feel like genitals. (laughs) I will just say that was, that was not my experience personally. Who knows? (laughs) Well, yeah, it it increases the sexual satisfaction. Sorry. I I remember that from Robin Williams' (laughs) stand-up. He mentions piercing. Yeah. Um, No, but, uh. Oh damn! Where, where, where? Because okay, so so, there's so whole the, scene. he's talking to the yeah. so Vincent's talking to the girls, and then Lance comes out um, and is selling him uh, heroin. And it's I, I thought this was like a really nice detail, like a nice sort of attention to detail here. That um, so you know, I guess I'm I'm not being a a heroin connoisseur myself. I'm just guessing <laughs> here that heroin is generally packaged in balloons whereas um whereas coke is generally packaged in baggies and Lance says I'm out of balloons so I'm going to have to put this heroin in a baggie where you know and so the heroin that he puts in a baggie he's he also mentions that it's super super strong and super pure yeah, it's so that it's mad this white powder <laughs> It's white powder in a baggie. It looks like Coke. It doesn't look like heroin. Yeah. Um, and it's also very, very, very strong heroin. Um, yeah. So Vincent does it. He gets high. And then we see him driving, which, oh, my God. Like, the the I know I'm going to sound like such a fuddy-duddy here, but, like, the lack of respect... For cars for the and guns. <laughs> well, it's not even about Reason rules. It's like, and of course, we as we see what happens to Marvin later, like there are consequences to that. But like, right. oh my god, like I, I just feel like in Tarantino movies, like everybody's always getting in car wrecks and getting shot because they're not being fucking careful with their yeah. cars and, and their guns. And you know what? And the dude gets high on like top grade heroin and then goes right. driving down the highway in LA skirting down the freeway <laughs> but oh um, my god that made me so anxious but what I'm I not do like that thing is interesting is that like his violence is impactful when violence happens it always makes it, at least for me it always makes me jump even when I know it's coming it's just like holy fuck like it hits you so real in a way that like so many action movies now right like superhero movies like they're so like you know violence and action happens every 30 seconds but it does not impact you in the same way as when a boom moment in his moment in his movies happens you know what I mean um like it really like uh well just like getting ahead like the moment where yeah he shoots Marvin's head off is such like that's was well my second uh, uh biggest like pop moment of like Jesus Christ because <laughs> it, it is so random it happens just like in the middle of a sentence and it happens sooner in the scene than you think it does right like they don't even get like through five lines of dialogue in the car before it, the it just pops off and it's like fuck 
and he's like, and yeah, like Dr. Voltage is fucking aiming the gun at him, like, hey, buddy, uh, what do you, do you think that was a miracle? It's like, oh my god, dude, like, yeah, so some fucking, uh, uh, what is it? Gun decorum. What, what's the fucking word? Uh, gun. Um... Yeah, like gun safety. Like yeah. Gun, like responsible gun operatorship. Gun <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's just, oh my God. Like, yeah, that just drove me nuts. And I thought that the fact that, you know, he he kills Marvin in a really, in an accidental, really stupid and really gory way. And then we see an entire act of the movie is dedicated to them having to deal with the fact. Yeah, the aftermath of killed... the violence. Yeah. That yeah. That was completely like, random that's and really... didn't, didn't strategically help them in any way. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's really cool. And that's something you don't see a lot in movies that, that that yeah the aftermath of the violence the yeah, messiness and, yeah and the literal the messiness reason, yeah and it becomes the reason why they switch clothes and how you can tell how later it is in the movie you know, well relative to you know what's happening in the narrative yeah action. um because yeah like the movie ends like technically earlier in the you know overall uh plot like relative to what what happens you know all the way because the, the i think the latest thing that happens is the wrap-up of Butch's plot. That's really, like, the ending of the movie, technically. You know what I mean? So Vincent Vincent does the heroin, and he goes to get Mia, right, Uma Thurman's character, because Marcellus is out of town and has been asked to... Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, that was the thing where part of me, because at first I had the question where I was like, wait, if this guy is such a hothead, if this guy is such a, you know, nobody fuck with my girl, I'm this, uh, you know, a uh, guy on the edge, you know, I've gone mad with power, I don't give a fuck. Like, if, if that's this guy, why would he be okay with letting this dude who he clearly doesn't know that well because Vincenzo has to ask uh, Samuel, like, hey, you know, that, that's not why he asked the question that starts the conversation in the first place. So, you know, this is a, a hitman of his, but it's not like, we're not like f- fucking friends, we're business partners, right? But I'm asking, I'm tasking you take care of my lady while I'm gone. And I thought of it like, well, if he's such this guy, why would he even set that situation up where it could happen, right? Like, why would you even do right. that? But when right. you st- stretch, uh, when you like zoom back out and you go like, well, wait, but he, you know, because that conversation that Uma has with him basically was like, no, he wasn't that hothead. And it may have been for a reason, but maybe it was justified because we legit just don't know what the reason was. But like, he's not just gonna like do some shit just because he gave her a foot massage. You know what I mean? Like that, that becomes clear, right? And Right, right. And so, like, so for him to do what he did and say, like, hey, you know, take care of her tonight, that actually seems like a relatively, like, reasonable move when you consider the fact that, hey, he is a, you know, a man who people are after, right? And so, you know, what best to, while I'm gone, have uh, a man who knows his way around the gun, like, you know, uh, take out my wife for the night. And, like, I know he's going to be, she's going to be in good company. You know what I mean? Like, it actually makes right. sense. Like, like, whereas at first it felt like, well, are you just trying to set him up, you know, just to, like... Oh, accidentally do something with your wife so that you could fucking have an excuse to like you know fuck with someone else. But then, like I said, like oh no, he actually seems like a reasonable person when you consider you know the world that he's in. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, nothing about Marcellus Wallace actually indicates that he's some kind of lunatic. Yeah. <laughs> um. And uh. So yeah, what ends up happening is yeah, she takes the the really mad man. She takes the madman heroin shit, thinking that it's just coke. And fucking, you know. Well, you 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 uh, I, you kind of glossed over the uh, the whole restaurant, the whole oh, diner. You know, I I, I glossed over because it's like nothing really happens. <laughs> like, it's 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 one of those things like the like the Butch and Fabian conversation in the hotel. It's like 
It doesn't really have anything to do with the plot. It's just weird that they go to this restaurant that's like aggressively 50s themed. Yeah. And all of the all of the servers are dressed as like 1950s movie stars. Yeah, it's an, an iconic looking scene. And, a, and it feels like it's supposed to be important because, yeah, all the iconography. They're sitting in a fucking Cadillac themed like a uh, bar, you know, uh, like the little booth that they're sitting in. It looks like they're sitting in a Cadillac. And yeah, they do the dance thing and, you know, fucking right, they do, gets they do the twist, which is another one of <laughs> these really iconic scenes is them <laughs> doing the twist um and of course uma thurman's barefoot mm-hmm. which of course you know is like from a Dr. practical point it's like okay but, uh, uma is what's up with that <laughs> well and it's like practically speaking it's like okay if she came in spike heels sure, sure. you don't want to try and dance in those but also yeah. although i did think it's funny like remember when she went into the bathroom and it, she's like, you know, sniffs the coke. She's like, I said, goddamn. <laughs> um, but yeah. Like, I just thought it was awkward. It, like, the staging of that felt like the staging of a dude who, you know, doesn't know what women do when they're in the bathroom. Because it just looks like, like, everyone's just powdering their nose. And everyone looks like they're all crowded together against the same fucking mirror. And it's just like, okay, I think they'd be a little spaced out. You know, I think they actually would yeah, want to I see Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, a ga- <laughs> it's a visual gag because... Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's women visual... be powder in their nose, you know? Like... Well, because she specifically is... So, I'm going to go powder my nose is right, a right, euphemism of course, for of I'm going to go pee. But yeah. then also, they're literally powdering their noses. And then also, Uma Thurman is literally powdering the inside of her nose. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so, it's got that, like, triple meaning. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, that was kind of funny. Although, I do wonder if Quentin Tarantino realizes that when women say they're going to go powder their nose, they're actually peeing. <laughs> no, they're all doing coke. I, they're all doing coke in there. Yeah, I don't know. No, I I did think that was kind of funny. Um, oh, also, so this gets into a little like uh, fan theory type thing that she mentions. So it's been mentioned a couple times that she's an actress. She did a pilot, and oh, yeah. Fox she describes five. the pilot she did Fox Force Five, and she's it's this like silly kind of Charlie's Angel ripoff. And other people have pointed out that Kill Bill. I, and I, I don't remember all the exact details, but people have pointed out that Kill Bill kind of could be an expansion or like a, a continuation of Fox Force Five. Uh, uh, so uh, that's uh, uh, the show got a movie instead of instead of the the pilot uh, taken off. Eh? Is that right, <laughs> that it's sort of like a that's an interesting sort of little universe connection. Kill Bill is an but, inverse uh, uh, in universe movie where Uma Thurman's character gets gets the job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. um so she, so they go back to the house and, um, and Vincent's like, you know, and they've been flirting and flirting and Vincent's like, okay, I really want to fuck her, but also if I fuck her, I'm going to be dead. And so he goes to the bathroom and he's like kind of trying to talk himself down from, you know, from fucking his boss's wife. Uh, but the way and- I'm like, is just like, cause the way it seems like the scene is going is that like, oh, you know she's going to try to seduce me, right? Because, like, check out how she So I've got to temper myself. But the reality is, that was never going to happen. She wasn't going to... Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, And so it's yeah. just him... So, it's his male, you know, fucking uh, thought. Well, hot chick, she's got to want to And fuck because me. he's in the bathroom for so long... She's out there by herself with his bag. Yeah, for, now she fucked you know, up. <laughs> she fucked and up. She, there. Which is like maybe like snorting yeah, don't a root random. And so, shit. <laughs> yeah, and it's like on the one hand, like she's already a little high at least, so that could account for some of the lack of judgment. Right. But um, 
but, but, but okay, she, assuming that things went right, it's like, oh, beefy does. I hope you don't mind. I went through your stats. Like, bitch, you don't know how much I pay for that. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. But so she finds this bag of what she assumes is Coke, but which is actually super, super potent heroin, snorts it and immediately ODs. And so he's like in the bathroom talking to himself for God knows how long. Yeah. Finally comes out, sees that and drives to the dealers to save her life. And this scene is so stressful. Yeah. And it reminded me and I realized like I was like, I feel like we talked about Narcan really recently. Um, <laughs> and we did because Knives Out. So oh. again, <laughs> if you if you think that you may in your life come across somebody who's ODing on opioids, whether that is yourself or a friend or family member or a neighbor, or if you just live in an area where there are a lot of people who might be using on the street, you should carry Narcan because it comes in a nasal spray now. You don't have to inject somebody through their breastplate. Oh my God. You don't have to stab somebody in the heart. You just need to spray something up their nose. These needles are so fucking harsh for me. I cannot look at like needle things happening the way they close up. I was like, ah! Yeah, the, the... The the hard part for me was the the I don't like seeing a needle going into somebody's skin in close up. So the like the scene of him injecting it was rough. Yeah. But um, but yeah. So so basically, PSA: if you have any reason to think you might come across somebody overdosing on opioids, uh, get, get Narcan, Narcan no, get the nasal, nasal spray. spray. Narcan nasal spray. It's officially endorsed if, by the review a new podcast. I was gonna say if if Vincent had had Narcan. It, I mean, and of course, it didn't exist back then. They just had the the vial kind that you you know you had to like actually get out with a needle and stuff. But and that dealer should have been better prepared. Like, if you sell heroin, right. you should be more prepared than having it like having to run around your whole house and all this stuff. But anyway, um, Dude, yeah, if needles, Vincent, for God's sakes. <laughs> if if Narcan had existed and Vincent had had it, he wouldn't have had to do all that. He could have just sprayed her Narcan. Um, but so so Vincent panicking drives and overdosing Mia to Lance's house, uh, crashes into the fucking house. Cra- crashes into the house, which is like, what did that accomplish? Yeah, I was like, motherfucker, you could have stopped. Like <laughs> the that scene of like Lance and his wife and the other woman, like in this messy, cluttered, disorganized house. Yeah, it's so claustrophobic. Through, yeah, <laughs> like tearing around, like. You know, and you just know, like, you can imagine, like, going into, like, a messy extra bedroom and you've got, like, piles of crap that you keep meaning to organize and you haven't gotten to it. And it's like, <laughs> where is it? Where is it? God damn it. Where is it? And, like, it is so fucking stressful. That scene is so stressful. Yeah. Uh, but they end up stabbing her in the heart and she kind of, like, has a Lazarus moment of just <clears throat> coming back to life. <laughs> With no apparent permanent damage, which is lucky. Although in real life, uh, going back to this, if you give somebody a dose of Narcan or, you know, or any other kind of whatever adrenaline, you need to call 911. Now, in this case, given that they're all criminals, they're, you know, they're (laughs) concerned about a hospital. But, you know, in real life, in real life, if, if you see somebody overdosing and then you give them a dose of Narcan, which you should, you also still need to call 911 because the Narcan can wear off and they can get back to overdosing. So uh, always call 911. 
after you've administered Narcan. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> and this has been the so medical he, corner of the review new podcast, <laughs> right? So he saves me his life, and she looks like an absolute zombie. She's like gray in the face, yeah, she's got bags under and her she's eyes. got the foam. Yeah, she's got the foam and the blood all over her face. And he drives her home, and she kind of like staggers up the walk. And it's funny because so. There was a little thing earlier in the diner about she says like her character was a vaudevillian, her character in the pilot was a vaudevillian and was going to tell a joke every episode and he was like, "Oh, tell me the joke," and she didn't want to. And I love that joke. She tells him the joke. Mama tomato, papa tomato and baby tomato are going on a walk and baby tomato keeps lagging behind, so papa tomato turns around and squishes him and says, "Catch up." <laughs> I, love, I always tell like, like if I'm on a walk with my kid, I always say to him, "Catch up, baby tomato," when he's getting too far behind, and then he goes, "Catch up, Papa Tomato," and it's cute. And then that's when we get back to Butch, and this starts with that the flashback to uh, Christopher Walken's right. amazing monologue, <laughs> right? And yeah, as soon as like the kid takes the wallet, you hear a thing, and that's when like you know Butch kind of gets up like, ah! <laughs> and he's like goes into the match, and you know he he doesn't throw it, he you know. Fights for his life. Uh, accidentally kills the guy. So, uh, you know, they're like, okay, you know, we got to leave. You know, they, they get to the hotel so that they're, you know, out of the way and no one can trace them. But then uh, he says, hey, you know, where's my father's watch? It, you remember the packet, right? And she's like, uh, I think I remember the packet. I remember seeing it. And she's like, but it's not here. Where is it? Where is it? And, you know, he starts, like, freaking out because, like, as we seen earlier, like, you know, it's something that's, you know, an heirloom that's really important. So he gets, like, super mad. And, you know, I do appreciate that he, he does apologize after, like, super going off. He was just like, I'm sorry. I didn't let you know how important it was to me. That, that was my fault, you know. Um, but, yeah, as he's driving there, he's just like, fucking fuck. I fucking told her. I can swear I told her. You know, it's really important. Take it off a kangaroo. You know, so he goes in. And, you know, there's the thing. It's like there's something about, like, the fact that, like, yeah. Quentin Tarantino's movies are, have, like, these very punchy, violent moments to them. And then you have these very long scenes where, like I said, as a teenager, I didn't appreciate it, right? It's just like, oh, it's just Bruce Willis walking for a couple of minutes. Come on, get to it. Get to the point. But what I think is cool about that is you do have that tension, right? Like, you know, it's like somebody could it's be around that corner. Up, right? Somebody could be around that corner. You know, like, and, yeah. and that's kind of like... Th- that is the importance of the the languorous sort of scenes, right? To be like something could happen right now, but it's not yet because that is yeah. how real life you is, right? I, like you know, you know what I just randomly thought of is I appreciate I appreciate the sort of averageness of the houses and apartments in this. <laughs> You're like, right, yeah. The, the like house, the fact that he's on a walk like, up, like yeah, this really crowded, like tan looking apartment that's so average looking, yeah. <laughs> But it's not like it's I feel like so often in movies and stuff, either an apartment is like just way too unrealistically nice or it's like just or it's like some disgusting flop house that like looks like it's in a tenement in 1915. Right. And, you know, it's like there's like, you know, paper like peeling off the walls and stuff. And and I appreciate that like the apartments in this, like the Thieves apartment and Butch's apartment and even like Quentin Tarantino's character's house. It's like a nice house, but it's like a normal nice house. It's like yeah, it's a house that a nurse and... would have. Yeah. And and like I and I appreciate that because all of those are like, oh, I, those are like places I've been in. Those are places that I have lived or that somebody I know has lived in. And it doesn't feel either like, oh, my God, you're a millionaire and you have no idea how regular people live yeah. or like, oh, you, you think that like any but like 
you know, th- these like insane like Oh, like, like the average uh, teen sex comedy movie where it'd be like, oh, I'm poor, but that kid's the rich kid. And you look at their house and it's just like, well, you got a two-story house. How are you the poor kid? Like, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Um, so he goes back into the apartment, uh, very small, sort of claustrophobic space. And, you know, he didn't see anyone around. So he's just thinking it's all good. He's like, all right, cool. And so he decides to, like, make himself some Pop-Tarts before he leaves. And then... Um, He's just like, you know, making the Pop-Tarts. He's like, yeah. And then he just happens to turn and he sees it before we see it because we're just like looking at him as he just like has this realization to see something. And then it cuts and you see this big ass gun. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This motherfucker is like, I didn't even think they made guns like these yet. (laughs) Like, um... So, well, I think it's got a silencer on it, too, as yeah, part of it. Yeah, although it doesn't silence it too much, but I think that's probably how silencers are. They actually, like, don't silence it that well. But Yeah, yeah. silencers don't actually well, make guns silent. It's, like, relative to what it would have sounded like, I guess. Like, you know. Um, yeah. But, yeah, he spots the big-ass gun right as he hears, like, a toilet flushing. <laughs> and so he, like, you know, he turns around and sees that, and like, oh, shit, this motherfucker's right back. And, you know, he picks it up and just... Right as the door opens, John Travolta is just looking like, and they don't exchange a word of dialogue. It's like, you know, everything. And matter of fact, like you said, they had met earlier in the movie where John Travolta was acting a little fucking cheeky. He was just like, hey, how you doing, Punchy? What's going on, bro? Like, you know, so he was was giving him a little fucking sass. So like, yeah, he had this fucking coming to him. (laughs) It also makes me think like, you know, when, you know, skipping to the end real quick when we were talking about how impatient uh, Butch is to get out of town. It's not just that Marcellus has told him to get out of town. It's that Marcellus doesn't know that Marcellus probably does not yet know that Vincent was killed, that Butch yeah. killed Vincent in his apartment. Right. So it's like, you might want to get out of there before he finds out that right. you killed his, like, you know, right-hand man. See, that's what I was thinking <laughs> at first, too. Yeah, because I was thinking, like, because, you know, at the end, like, yeah, there's a thing where he ends up helping him. And so it's just like, oh, well, actually, like, I don't, I mean, yes, yeah, sure, it's still get out of town. It's like, like the, there's a question of, like, how, how mad would Marcellus be at that point? Right. And it's, and it's a question. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, you should just get out and not find out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it, it drove <laughs> me a little nuts because I was like, dude. I was like, you didn't have to kill him. You could have just, it was like, it was frustrating to me because it was like, you could have seen, and, and of course it's a Tarantino movie, so there's going to be violence, there's going to be shooting, but I was like, man, if that were me, it's like, you know, like, first of all, don't gun. stop and make a fucking fuck pop, out. you've been sneaking around panicking, don't stop and make a fucking Pop-Tart, and yeah. then also, or at least like yeah, take the Pop-Tart fucking... with you, you don't have to toast it. You don't have to toast it. You can eat a raw Pop-Tart. It will not hurt you. Oh, my God. He could have taken those. He could have had his watch. Got Oh, boom. uh, Money. I got some extra extra food. And then split. He didn't need to fucking toast. Right. Because even seeing the gun, it's like, sneak out the door. Get out of there. He's just going to assume he missed you. Like... But now there's a dead body in your apartment. Exactly. Now, not only is Marcellus going to be mad, but... Cops are going to find a right. dead body in your apartment. And now hey, what like, there's going to be guy? a manhunt for yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like yeah. D- you murdered somebody in your apartment. Now there's going to be a manhunt for you. Because before he did that, it was like the only person who gives a shit is Marcellus. And Marcellus yeah. doesn't care. But now the cops is like, Butch, Butch, you fucked yourself. Yeah, you fucked you yourself, fucked Butch. Oh, it, it happens right after. That's the thing. Like, yeah. So he has to see where he shoots him. And he's like, 
oh man, I'm I, I'm home free because now the guy who who was gonna be after me isn't after me anymore. So he like you know cranks up the radio. He's like yeah, puffing up flowers or whatever the fuck that song is. Uh, I'm watching Captain Kangaroo smoking a cigarette or whatever fucking weird ass. Oh that yeah, I I have that. <laughs> so my that wife song? has like my wife has like a playlist of Tarantino soundtrack songs. So that it's uh wait uh. Play in solitaire till dawn with a deck of 51, smoking <laughs> cigarettes and watching Captain, Captain Kangaroo. Now don't tell Kangaroo. me I've nothing to do. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's uh, thinking it's just all sweet. <laughs> and then he happens to come up to a crosswalk where Marcellus Wallace just happens to be walking by. And Marcellus just like just has them over. He's like walking by. And he's got a big ass like pink box. And you know, it, it was like, again one of those things where it's just like, wow, look, look at this uh, gentleman who loves this woman. He's probably getting her some fucking a box of chocolates right now. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, good guy Marcellus so, Wallace. <laughs> right and it's just that is i think the biggest moment of coincidence in the movie that yeah, he course. just so happens to like so butch who clearly does not make great decisions just in his life at all decides that the best way to handle it is to commit vehicular manslaughter so he so he runs marcellus over and and crashes and they're both injured and well, yeah, he runs Wallace. him over, and then because he's running the stoplight, another car hits him, so it messes. Right. Yeah, that's what happens. Yeah. So, now, so now Butch I, is like... Now, I do say, like, yeah. he was in a bit of a jam. Like, if he even tried to get around him, like, what? Marcellus would have probably had a gun and tried to shoot him, so it's just kind of like... Ah, yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but I'm just I I just feel like Butch could have made things so much easier for himself <laughs> from the get go. But then yeah. I guess he wouldn't be a Pulp Fiction yeah, protagonist. Yeah, right. He could have just you know fucking ate his pride and left the watch, or he could have just fucking taken the money. Like he really brings the shit on himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so Butch runs Marcellus over. Marcellus gets up. Um, oh, it actually blades bit. out for a couple of minutes. Like so, like time is back. You know, like I said, in oh, a modern movie, yeah, yeah, we, see- yeah, in a modern movie, it would have just been like, oh, the crash happened, and then oh, I just get up, and now everything. No, but it like it crashes, and then it kind of like blanks out, and you can kind of see that time has passed because people have like you know, kind of like people gather, yeah, yeah gather and Kathy Griffin. Is that Kathy who that Griffin is? <laughs> is one of the people. Yeah, the redheaded woman who's like, I saw who it is, and I can you know report blah blah blah. Like, uh. So all these people are gathered around him being like, oh, my God, who, you know, are you OK? This lunatic just ran you over. And Marcellus just gets up and starts limping toward uh, Butch, who's kind of like rolling out of the car, you know, all beaten yes, up. I think someone gave him, a, him. A, a, a napkin or something like that to like tap his yeah. blood or something. Shoot some random woman who's trying to help Butch. <laughs> I know. And they start fighting. They're rolling around and they get they end up in a like a pawn shop mm-hmm. and this is this is oh, one boy, of those of, scenes this is where things go real sideways talk about yeah just coincidences that end up happening because they could have gone in any store it could have been in any store but no yeah <laughs> this is this is also this is just one of those scenes that yeah and now is, when I was younger, you know, and, and even before I actually watched the movie, I remember actually uh, feeling like I was going to be a little bit more um, like, okay, so it's a Pulp Fiction, you know, the movie's about, you know, exploitation, uh, uh, you know, uh, genres and shit like that. And so, like, there's a certain level where it's just like, 
you know, when I see this, like, okay, you know, this is kind of like, oh, wow, this is the wild out thing that happens. And, you know, on a certain level, you know, just to, you know, just to say it, it's like, there's that feel of it kind of like exploiting the idea of how scary BDSM is, right? Where it's just like, ooh, someone in a suit, and you know what I mean? Like, I feel like a decade later, you know, everyone had seen like the real sex documentaries. So like stuff like this wasn't as like, you know what I mean? Like right. the idea of someone in a gimp suit, because that's the real like thing that freaks you out, right? Someone in a gimp suit, this black suit with a zipper mask. Oh, freaky, scary. You know what I mean? Like, which I mean, that's still like American Horror. The first season of American Horror Story used that, and that was in like 2010, right? Um, but yeah, so there definitely is the ooh, scary kinksters, yeah. uh, scary gay rednecks. There is something about a homosexual redneck that just. <laughs> I guess it's, like, the hypocrisy, like, the clear hypocrisy, but is this person who, like, you know, like, in a world where people accepted sexuality regardless, he probably wouldn't, would just be living his life, right? But it's because of the, you know, like, the thing that it calls back to is that oppressive society that we're living in, right? Like Right, and the idea that if you are in a, in a homophobic society and you're gay, the only way you can act out that is to be really violent with it. Mm. or something. And so Maynard is the name of the proprietor of the pawn shop who holds a gun on them. Yeah, and, 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 and now, okay, so I'm sorry, but this is actually another, like, example of a scene in which it's like, wait, who's the bad guy here? Because, you know, okay, you just fell into somebody's shop and you're about to blow someone's head off in front of them. Like, yeah, they would be right to point a gun at you and be like, hey, fucking Right, Maynard up. isn't the bad guy for doing that. Yeah. He's the bad guy for <laughs> what he does next, which is to tie them up and lock them up in his secret sex dungeon and he calls right. his friend Zed, who seems to be a a cop or a yeah. sheriff's deputy. No, yeah, he's a sheriff's deputy, specifically, not just a cop, this motherfucker, a sheriff deputy, uh, deputy someone of like you know power in, in this in this area that that's what made me have that extra second because like when i didn't because again i didn't register before that it was like you know he had a fucking sheriff's badge on like deputy badge on so like i was just thinking like oh yeah you're just making fun of you know rednecks being gay but then when you have that extra layer of oh no this is someone abusing their power and authority like right. that specifically is what's happening here it's not just two guys it's not, no this is someone who knows he's not ever gonna get caught and you know he's not gonna get caught because um and that was the the thing about the gimp because um you know there's that whole conversation that uh, people have had online is like you know is is the gimp like you know a part of this is he you know a, a being held against his will is is that and actually i found in an uh, interview where he had revealed specifically what the uh what the relationship was it was that uh this person had been kidnapped for about like 5 to 7 years and at this point had just been like a you know a servile slave to them so it's like it's that uh, Oh, what was it? Because, uh, yeah, when I was looking it up on Reddit, they were talking about how, like, oh, yeah, but this is a thing that did happen. Like, uh, specifically the story of Colleen Stan. Do you know about that one? Uh, was she a kidnapping victim? I, I yeah, don't uh, think she's, I've heard. She's referred to as the girl in the box because uh, basically. Oh. And, and, oh, and this is why fucking that, uh, that 70s free care. Ooh, let's hitchhike with whoever happens to be coming by. This is why that shit need to, needed to stop, right? Because basically she yeah. was like hitchhiking uh, her way to like a birthday party or something like that. And, uh, she actually like uh, uh, skipped two cars that like wanted to pick her up and got with this third one because she was like, oh, hey, here's, you know, a guy with a, a woman with a baby. Like, oh, that, that can't be too bad of a thing. And then she ended up being like, uh, 
having like a you know knife to her throat and like basically ended up being kidnapped and she was like they're, they're basically their sex slave uh for a long time because uh the guy who basically was the ringleader of the situation he saw some movie called the story of O, which was like this really salacious uh french movie from the 50s or something yeah like that. and he just wanted to live out that fantasy you know uh, but you know the thing that we all should know today in today's age about when it comes to sexuality and kinks is the special c word consent folks say it with me now so like you know the, the thing at the end of the day is like it, it's not that you can't do whatever freaky weird sex shit that you want it's just you know the person should want to do it. <laughs> you, you right. Don't and I, I think that people. <laughs> I, I feel like the whole, you know, and obviously there are real cases of people like that guy who, you know, actually hurt people against their will. Um, you know, there are absolutely, you know, people who, you know, there are serial killers and kidnappers and, and abusers who actually hurt people. Um, out of you know to to fulfill a sexual fantasy yeah. um but, but it, it ends up giving the whole like kink community a bad name when that's the only thing you see right on the news story right, right because you know and it's that idea and i think sometimes there's like a little bit of too much of a reaction against that where people act like they do kind of a no true scotsman thing where they say mm. like oh well a real kinkster wouldn't ever do anything right. bad and yeah. you know and, and the fact is it's like yeah it's like do whatever you want as long as everybody is safe, sane, and consensual, and you know, it's it's yeah, like it's, um, oh sorry, but, but yeah, anymore. but but the no, I was just thinking of like sort of the treatment of these things in movies. Um, it feels exploitative usually because it's like they're not. It's really... exploitative, and I I think also like the Fifty Shades and the fact that so much of the general public like think BDSM and they think Fifty Shades of Grey, and it's like I, I think more than enough ink has been spilled oh, over what what all Lord. is bad. Yeah, another movie about <laughs> like the issue of fucking consent, like Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> Although I really I I was I thought um, so. Cat Black has a really interesting take on it because. Um, you know, I, I think everybody, everybody and their mother has said Christian Gray is abusive. Christian mm. Gray is abusive. That's not really doming. That's abusive. And I mean, he's mm-hmm. undoubtedly his behavior is not okay. Yeah. But Cat uh, Black's take is really interesting because she also says, like, you know, Anastasia here is not like she, like, Cat Black watched him and her take as an experienced person in the king community was like wow anastasia is just really has no idea what she's doing mm. and is Somebody kind of fucking is kind of jerking christian around and fucking with his head mm. um so cat black's take is really interesting and i think worth worth hearing but regardless um yeah i mean i, I think that and it's also like when you're talking about fiction so if we're talking about like this is going to get a whole tangent, but if we're talking about erotica... <laughs> Go off, King. Like, well, if we're talking about erotica and fiction, part of the point of a... Fi- okay, like, if you're, if you're in a scene, if you're, like, role-playing with your partner and you're doing a scene and you're pretending that, say, you know, one of you is a cop and you've arrested the other one. Right, and that's, right. You're pretending. That's your scene. You're pretending that. You're not then within that going, and of course I'm just pretending, like you have safe words and stuff, but you're, you're immersed, right? Because otherwise it's not fun. Mm-hmm. And I think with storytelling... And fantasies, if, for example, you have a story about, like, 
a cop or somebody in position of power doing stuff to a person they have power over like if it's erotica like that's something somebody might get off on and if they stopped and were like turning to the camera and going and of course we're just pretending and we have safe words and there's total consent involved (laughs) then that kind of ruins the fantasy because the whole point is that it's a fantasy and that the fantasy itself the content of the fantasy is problematic right um and then when you're talking about so but then when you're talking about stuff that isn't erotica and that is purportedly like I'll put it this way, if you're in if your story your characters are using products that only exist in the context of play, in the context of BDSM, mm. if they are using recognizable products that you could only buy in a sex shop, then you are you're not in a fantasy there and obviously this is not you know that scene's not a fantasy you're not in a fantasy you're depicting kink play from the outside mm. and so when kink play is being depicted from the outside like that's why i think with, with like 50 shades of gray like if christian gray were not purported to be a if he weren't like, I am a dom and I like BDSM and right. here are my toys that I bought from a sex shop right. to have my BDSM sex. Like if it were more immersed and it were more just like, oh, he like. They're in a relationship and he started doing this to her, right? He, like that's He just has this darkness inside him, whatever. Right. It, I'm not saying that would be okay. I'm saying it would be a whole different conversation. No, yeah, so, right. Because you're saying at least like the Fifty Shades of Grey at least gives the context of with the understanding that this is like sex play, da da da. But what the issue with this is that it tries to be like <gasps> sexy kink stuff. You've seen that stuff in the the sex shops, isn't that scary? Well, like, I'm not defending. No, I'm not saying. Um, I'm not saying. Like, I think you know, Fifty Shades of Grey is trash. I'm not saying it's better in any way. No, but but uh, like the relativeness saying in saying like that's at least giving the context of like you know it's all relative, um, right? Like, well, I don't know. I I honestly hmm. think that. Fifty Shades being, de- I think that being depicted as some sort of model for hmm. introducing kink into a relationship, right. yeah. which that's what, for better or worse, that's what it's been taken as yeah, and, and yeah. being presented as erotic is worse than simply going, look at these cr- scary freaks. Aren't they scary? Like, I, I think, I, well, yeah, I mean, this I turned would, into a whole... Well, because the reason I would differ, because it's like, the issue with this movie is that it doesn't give any context of the idea of this being possibly done in a way that could have been consensual, right? And so what the what the movie run, runs the risk of is just saying that it is scary when someone wears a kink mask, you know? Like, it can, like it frames it in a way without the context of the other thing. And, right. you know, if you're not thinking about, like, the... Again, because I do think it's interesting. Like, it, they didn't just make it two Southern bumpkins. One of them is a cop. Like, they're trying to say something. Right. Like, now- and, and the only cop in the movie, right? Like, I understand, mm-hmm. like, from that perspective of trying to point out, like, someone abusing their authority and the only representation of cops we get is someone who is specifically abusing their authority. You know, like, I enjoy that aspect of it, but the aspect of it where it, like, you know, breaking down the point of a, well, to give a better example, that, but that's also problematic. Um, what's that movie? Uh, uh, as, uh, uh, assi- assistant or something like that? Uh, uh, oh, secretary. Yeah, secretary, secretary, secretary. Like that, like, you know, I guess things are on a gradation, a gradient scale, right? Where it's like, they're at least like acknowledging the idea of like, you know, 
this is a thing that they actually eventually do like talk about like wanting to do with each other and that makes it consensual but the way it starts is really awkward where it's like you're in my office and i literally like yeah we're like this is a power play that really is happening where i am your boss and then i'm doing this sexual stuff to you it's like that's the point where it's just like oh no you should that is xxx you should not be doing that you shouldn't have just started yeah doing your secretary that. Like, yeah. Yeah. People pointed that out. Like, secretary for a while was getting held up. It was like, people were saying, like, Fifty Shades is bad, but secretary. And it was like, no, no secretary that one's got its own problems. Problematic yeah. also. <laughs> um, and, and again, it's this question of, like, I think with secretary is if this movie were purely a fantasy. Interestingly enough, by the way, secretary is based on a short story, but is very different because secretary is a rom com. Yeah, secretary yeah. is a romance movie. The story it's based on is just about a secretary who goes to work for this deviant and then ends up leaving because she found out he was a horrible deviant who abused her. Yeah, the way the movie goes is that she just happens to be into the stuff that he he is doing. But it's like, if it was just, if she just happened to be not into it, then that was abuse. Like, you just got lucky, boss. You know, like... Right. And and there's, it's, you know, it's sort of a weird thing when your kink is something, especially something like as nebulous as like, power dynamics right right right? like when your kink is something as nebulous as telling a woman what to do is hot that it it's tricky because it's like okay well you were you have an employee you're gonna tell her what to do and if you get off on telling your employee to like alphabetize some files like (laughs) where's the line where Uh. you're being inappropriate you know it's it's weird um so, you know, I, I think uh, we could have a whole nother podcast <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> talking about the depiction yeah. of kink in, and hell, maybe uh, we should have a podcast about the depiction of kink so, Someone in, request uh, a movie about kink. In <laughs> cinema. Oh, somebody request Secretary. Somebody request Hudson Hawk and Secretary. Together, we'll do a double header. <laughs> double feature. <laughs> gonna, double we're going to infiltrate feature. the Vatican and then also spank Maggie, uh, Maggie not Maggie Smith. Oh, my God. <laughs> Maggie Gyllenhaal. We're going to spank Maggie Smith and Maggie Gyllenhaal and infiltrate the Vatican. Oh, my God. Let's get back to this movie, though. So. I did want to point out, the f- motherfucker who is the cop, none other than the homeboy from the mask, Dorian. Remember him? You remember the mask? Because he has. Such I a- have not seen the mask in years. Oh he God. plays a lot of bad guys. Yeah, he's the scumbag bad guy who, uh, you, you know, is partially in control of the club, where the mask goes down and like you know wrecks shit and takes Cameron Diaz, you know, and so he's like, I want that clown out of here, you know. <laughs> so I was like, Oh shit, yeah. Dorian! He came for some back pay. What should I say? Payback. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and oh yeah and as they're so basically tie, they tie up uh bruce willis and uh marcel's was ving rames's character and he does like oh which one should we take into the back room first and he does like any meeny miny mo catch a nigger by his toe and it's one of those things where it's just like you know, again it feels like you know, you you feel like oh, it's like this- did you need to not did you need to say that instead of Tiger? Did you right. need to? But the, the, I but guess. The, but the it's funny, like, the, he's already a rapist. But <laughs> the weird thing about it is that it's like that actually was the original rhyme. It was the original yeah. thing for sure, and so it, it was still a choice. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> but I just find that weird. How it's just like that actually is the more accurately 
like the accurate thing to what people would have originally said, which is funny because it feels like a thing that you as a kid would have like, you know, heard other people saying, you know what's actually, they say N-word, you're actually supposed to say the N-word during the eeny, meeny, miny th thing. You know what I mean? It feels like a thing that, that's not actually true, but then it's like, oh shit, it actually was because people were super racist like in the past. It like one of those things that might, like people saying the word picnic is racist. Right, like, um, yeah. It seems like that, but it's like, nope, no, that really was. Also the original, uh, the original title of and then there were none i mean there's a lot of that shit yeah. going around um but um, what i do like think it actually makes uh bruce willis's character the protagonist right is that he gets somehow he gets his hands untied i don't know how it happens it seems to just, like it, it doesn't really show it very well he's just able to do it i guess did you see something yeah he manages to get himself he manages to get himself free and and yet chooses to go back and rescue marcellus yeah like, because he's hearing yeah, he's hearing the sounds. Well, he he's hearing the sounds of Marcellus getting assaulted, and I and I think um it's I was thinking about this while I was watching it. It's like for the plot to work here, because you know I think on the one hand you can sort of say, you know, and, and I know a lot of people would say like there's no good reason to depict something like that, and it's exploitative, and it's disgusting, and it's gross, and it's making light of sexual assault, and blah blah blah. I definitely see people saying that. Mm. On the other hand, the I think that what happens to these two men at this point is like, you know, Butch and Marcellus are trying to kill each other. Something really, really bad happens to both of them that right. is so bad and so traumatic that A, it inspires Bruce to save Marcellus, even mm. though he has every reason to wish Marcellus would be dead mm -hmm. and was just trying to kill him. So it couldn't just be that Marcellus was going to get killed because Bruce or Butch was trying to kill him. It has to be something worse than him getting killed and something so bad that it binds them together in never wanting to talk about it again and just wanting to get away from each other and move past the betrayal. Yeah. So I, I have a hard time thinking of what would be that bad other than what happens. Right, right. Like, and, you know, I think it's like on one level, yeah, it's like, oh, they were, you know, uh, they had gayness forced upon them. Oh, of course they would want that. It's creepy. But like uh, on the real real, it's like, no, they were sexually assaulted. And yeah, that's not fucking cool. You know, like it, it, yeah, regardless I mean, of if it was I, a man doing it to a woman think, or anything, you know, like, yeah. Right. And I do think the fact that it's men, like, I think, you know, because frankly, like, um, and I'm not talking about Tarantino specifically a little bit, like, mm female on male rape has been played for laughs in movies and TV many, many times. And I think if it were mm. women, um, even if it were women penetrating them, like, I mean, even that, like, you oh, know, what was that movie? 40 days Deadpool. and 40 nights. You ever seen that movie where it was about like, right. Where she, yeah. There was yeah, a joke like, scene where someone like ha had sex with the guy against his will. And oh, right. Uh, and there's the aspect of, you know, not only is it a violation of consent, but it's physically painful to be, you know, anally penetrated against your will. Um, but I, I do think like, you know, and also like they're two big guys like Butch and Marcellus are these two big guys. So even with a gun involved, it's easier to believe that two men would be able to do this to them more successfully than if it was like two, you know, average sized women doing it. So, you know, I mean, I, I basically I could I could see people saying that this was a bad choice, yeah. but I think that it I think it worked really well for what it needed to do for the plot and mm. for the character development. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, 
and then you can also back up and say, okay, but did they have to have that plot point? Couldn't the plot have gone differently if the yeah, plot couldn't something, something else? Because it really, it, it's not like like that is the one scene that isn't really directly dependent on anything other than how their characters resolve at the end. But like, it could have been through another means. Like those two characters, Zed and you know whatever the fuck, like they had nothing to do with anything going on with the rest of the movie. You know, like yeah, right. I mean, and again, like if the point is that. Butch runs into Marcellus and then something so bad has to happen to them that they forget about their conflict. Right. That's what had to happen. Now you could say, well, why did it have to be something so bad happened to them that they forget it? Why couldn't it have been, you know, Butch accidentally does something really great for Marcellus or does something and there's some you know, like plot configuration where Butch somehow like makes that. it. Like, yeah. Like there, you know, there's things that could have happened. And I will say like, Everything in every story that is told is a choice. No no storyteller ever has to ever, right. ever, ever. Like anytime. So I'm going to say like there is never such a thing as, well, I had to put that in my story. No, right. there is literally oh, yeah. any. If you're choosing to tell a story, every single thing you put in there, you chose to do and you didn't it, have to. It's the excuse However, that people make in shit where it's just like, uh, what, what's that? Where, where they'll be like, oh, uh, no, the rape needed to happen with this because that's how they wrote their culture. It's like, no, you could have just not wrote that. Like, you, you're, you're, right. not, you're not a slave to your pen. Like, yeah. Right. So I'm not going to say that Tarantino had to make this scene. I'm not going to say he had to make he had to do that. He had no choice. That would be ridiculous. But what I will say is that it serves the purpose that it is meant to serve very, very effectively within the narrative. That's what of, I'll say. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it, like in a, in a visceral way that gets you to understand why Marcellus Wallace. Yeah, in this instance, would be like, okay, then we're fucking even. Just fuck off. Like, yeah, right. Um, and it's also what I think. Is it the first time that we've seen his face? Because the when he's talking to, to... Because most of the time when we see him, we're only seeing the back of his head. Which, by the way... So he's bald. He's got a bandage on the back of his head. Yeah. Which I don't... Like, um, Did... Jackie was telling me that there's... Apparently there's some fan theories that that is where his soul was removed. And then his soul was put in the back, in the briefcase. Yeah, that's what the, the, the supposed uh, thing is. But again, that feels like... Another layer of, you know, in the same way that, oh, what, what was the reason why he threw the dude off the balcony? Oh, because his girlfriend it got a foot massage. You know, that feels like another level of that, like, you know, allowing you to mythologize, you know, outside of what you're right. Yeah, I mean, and that's totally a fan theory. That is not, I mean, Tarantino himself has said, I don't know what was in the briefcase. We couldn't think of anything. (laughs) But I think it's fun. And that's kind of a, you know... You know, the storytelling exists. It's there to make you the ask the question, the right? Like, yeah, like, what the fuck happened there? Right. Like, yeah. But, but yeah, I think the first time we. I think the first time we actually see yeah, Marcellus' face in the movie is when he turns and sees Butch. Yeah, because I'm, I'm trying to think. Like, I think it's like, we know what Ving Rhames looks like, and you do see him. Like, in general, we know what he looks like. And there's a point where you do see him from the side wearing shades. And so, like, you're aware when you see a big, bald, black dude, that's probably going to be him. But yeah, I, I really don't think you see him. Before yeah, that, and, no. Yeah. And then after that in the movie, we see his face quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I thought that was, it's interesting. And I think it had a, it's impactful because we don't see his face. He's just this sort of mysterious figure that everybody's always talking about and that kind of is pulling the strings everywhere. Like inhuman, and the first yeah, time yeah. we see him is this shock of Butch going, 
oh fuck that's the one face i don't want to see pointed in my direction yeah. and like i said it's not like he's like he, he's not looking like a menacing dude necessarily he's carrying a big pink box you know like right but it's the context of knowing this is the person that i'll be fucked if he sees me yeah yeah and so i do enjoy that like play of it's just interesting how like right like you expect if someone's like the bad guy they're the big bad and they look like the big bad all the time and they're just acting like the big bad but like i said when you take that extra step back and it's like wait how bad is he really what did he do that was wrong like i said like you know uh sure you could say it's shady to like uh you know do, uh, tell someone to take a dive and gambling but you know all right l- let's just say gambling is just kind of like a fucked up thing in general so if you're already within the world you know like it's not the worst thing you could be doing to say hey just take the dive no the worst thing you could do is kill a man and then uh rip off the dude who actually paid you <laughs> you know what i mean that that within that context that feels like the worst thing that you could do bruce willis you know <laughs> um and oh yeah and i do think it's like so he takes like because what is it he originally is gonna use a hammer and then he sees a chainsaw and then he sees a sword and you know it's interesting at first i was like what no go with the chainsaw but then i was thinking like no you're right that is a little too loud and messy you know what i'm saying like and a little too unwieldy the sword probably was actually the best bet when you think about it (laughs) and of course just for the impact of oh my god when he, he slices him across the so, you know, when they go in and you see the one dude who's just, like, sort of standing there watching it as it's happening. And, like, he, you know, he sees uh, Marcellus Wallace, like, look up. And so, like, he turns around and goes, like, oh. And, you know, Bruce Willis slashes him across uh, his body. And it's like, oh, you know, he puts him in shock. And then, oh, stabs him in the dick in such, oh, my God. In such a visceral yeah. fucking way where you're like, oh. Like, you feel the, yeah. like I said, well, you feel the impact of the violence in these movies. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, it's it's like the opposite of superhero movie violence, where it's just blood, people bloodlessly getting flung around precisely. in CGI sock puppets. Yeah, I remember it's someone, like throwing. Yeah, I'm not sure if we had that conversation before, but like, yeah, it's like it's actually worse that action movies today kind of try to you know take away the impact of because they're like, well, we don't want to get an R rating, but now you're just kind of showing like what you're getting. I'd rather see it. my kid. I would rather that my kid see a movie where somebody gets shot and then slowly and painfully bleeds to death, like in Reservoir Dogs, than have him see a movie where somebody gets shot and it's no big and, deal and they or the they just kind of go yeah, eh, and like, fall <laughs> and then we never see them again. Yeah, because yeah. the first one actually shows you, like it makes you realize <laughs> real. like, if somebody gets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Death is real, baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, um so so Butch and, and you know, Butch and Marcellus defeat the the rednecks the and Marcellus cops. basically re- recovers his dignity and tells Butch get out of town. Butch takes uh Zed the the sheriff deputy's motorcycle Goes and gets Fabian. And this was, again, it was like, he's go- come on, baby, come on. And she's like, but where were you? And then I just did to have pancakes. Uh, you know, it's uh, like, you know. girl, get on the fucking motorcycle. Uh, uh, like, okay, like, it's the like, FBI uh, is going to be on your yeah. ass. Get on the motorcycle. Okay, it's one thing where it feels like he is not, he's just doing that action movie thing where he's like, come on, we got to go. Uh, no time to explain. It's like, could say something. But there really isn't. But, there really isn't. But yeah, there is that other level where it's just like, why doesn't she know what the fuck is going on? Why is she being portrayed like just this baby that's just like, I don't know. what's happening? Yeah, she's like, very, very baby-like. And again, like, I also just, as a parent, have this, like, sometimes you just need to fuck it. If somebody's coming in saying, like, this is urgent, do what I'm saying right now, which <laughs> we get to this in, act, in the next act, you know, yeah. I'm saying, like, but, you know, if somebody's like, okay, come on, 
well, I'll explain later, but we got to go. We got to do this. Like, yeah. sometimes you just got to fucking move and stop dawdling for the sake of dawdling. Yeah, would she, would she ask, like, fucking oh, what, Vince? What, is, what is this, uh, what is this, uh, what is this motorcycle? Why do you have that? Like, yeah, that was a stupid question. It's like, that is not obviously not the important question to ask right now. What is this mode of transportation? Like, yeah, that felt kind of, right. like, just silly for her to say that. Yeah. Um, it's like, no, you need to get out of the country. You could have just gotten out of town, but because... Uh, because Butch killed Vincent in his apartment, now you have to get out of the country exactly. to a country with no extradition. Yeah. <laughs> and and this is where, okay, so, and again, thank you to Justin Kaunacki for this very, very helpful breakdown because basically um, we get the very first, um, <clears throat> the very first scene is the di- pumpkin and honey bun in the diner mm-hmm. and then going <laughs> to Jules and Vincent driving to the briefcase and confronting the thieves, which is a flashback from there. Right. And then it's a flash way forward. Yeah. Uh, and, and everything kind of proceeds from there. And then the last chunk of the movie is going back to what happened right between after the yeah. Between Jules and Vincent leaving the thieves and Honey Bun and Pumpkin in the diner. Yeah, yeah. So they've left the thieves or they're at the thieves' house and then the um Alexis Arquette's character is hiding in the bathroom with a handgun. Wait, Alexis and, wait, um, wait, who, and who's that? Was... The the person in the pink shirt in the bathroom with the gun. In the bathroom? Was, is was that a, not a dude? In what uh the, well the character is a man the the actor is Alexis or was Alexis Arquette who is um the one of the Arquette siblings of whom there are like a dozen um oh, did, and did she, they, like, I think she transitioned oh okay That's she, tra- she transitioned okay yeah she transitioned after the movie but okay. um yeah but that's Alexis Arquette so Alexis Arquette is hiding in the bathroom with a handgun pops a out handgun, yeah. Right, pops out trying to ambush them, but gets gets killed instead. And Jules, so what happens here is that the the other thief has shot this big arc, like has shot directly at them, like six yeah, rounds. Yeah, it, it looks like it, and it yet should have gone through directly them, yeah. at Jules. And Jules is completely unharmed, and, the, and it almost looks like the bullets have gone through him. Yeah. Um, and he and he becomes convinced that. It's a miracle and that God saved them yeah. and that it wasn't just lucky. It was it was a miracle. So Jules starts having this sort of, um, you know, this sort Revelation. of crisis. Yeah. Right. And then they they kidnap Marvin um, and they're in the car and Vincent is being a fucking dumbass and like pointing a loaded gun at Jesus him in a Christ. in a moving car. That was the thing that kept me up. I was like, are you not professional trigger men? Like, right. It was like, why? Trigger discipline. That's why? the word I was looking for. Trigger discipline. No like, discipline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trigger discipline. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Vincent's being a fucking dumbass blows Marvin's head off when they hit a bump in the road. Um, and so then of course they're panicking cause they're in an open car with an obviously just decapitated yeah. body and blood all over the place. Um, so Jules, um, calls, this was like when cell phones were like just starting to be a thing. Right. Um, oh, they still had car phones ca- for God's sake. <laughs> right. I think we had a car phone for a little while my, when my parents owned a business in the mid nineties. Uh, my parents owned a, a newspaper, like a really small newspaper. I don't know. I've told you that. I don't know if I've said it on the podcast. When I was a kid, my parents owned a very, very small newspaper. Um, and uh, 
and um and we had a car phone for a little while but uh look at you big balling in the 90s <laughs> yeah. um but uh but so jules calls this guy he knows because they're driving around the suburbs basically oh yeah and jules calls a guy he knows and that's when they go to quentin tarantino's house um and this whole next bit is what I call competence porn. It is the <laughs> best. It is such a fantastic example of competence porn this is how you starring do this. Harvey Keitel. Yes, Harvey Keitel. What? Harvey Keitel with a nine inch competence cock just fucking <laughs> and, the shit out of this situation. <laughs> and a definitely yeah, porn no. <laughs> he's, he's playing the wolf. And he's so good. Um, so it's like, basically, oh, you need me to be there in thirty minutes? I'll be there in nine. Get everything ready. <laughs> right. So, so they go into Quentin Tarantino's house, and the the stakes are set up initially where they pull the car into his garage. And at first, I think when they were driving around talking about the garage, I was assuming it was like a mechanic's garage, but no, it's literally just like this suburban house's carport. Yeah. Um, type garage. So they pull the car in and Quentin Tarantino standing in his kitchen, you know, being like, Hey, if my wife, you know, cause yeah. right. Just looking like such a, like fucking, I don't know, like Sunday morning cartoon asshole. I don't even know what I mean by that. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, I'm starting, I'm, I'm like devolving to the point I'm turning into the drinking out of cup. Like he's a Sunday morning cartoon asshole <laughs> drinking out of his coffee cup, wearing a bathrobe, thinks he's king of the castle. Like some um, kind of fuck. <laughs> <laughs> like some kind of fuck drinking out of cups. Um, but so so he says, you know, his wife is a nurse who works a night shift. She's going to be home in X amount of time. I think they say like an hour and a half. Yeah, like She's going to be home. And if she comes home and sees this car with the dead guy with his head blown off in the car, she's going to divorce him. Yeah. And, and that's the end of that. So... So they call the wolf and the wolf has to get everybody cleaned up and ready to hit the road again and go and dispose of the body and dispose of the car um, before the wife gets home. And um, and I think that that portion is called like the Bonnie question or the yeah, bo- yeah. the wife is named Bonnie. It's like the Bonnie, the, the Bonnie, Bonnie dilemma situation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, something like that. And um, so... This is just, and and this is where you mentioned earlier, like Vincent digging in his heels and being a fucking child and be like, you know, you didn't say please when you tell, and yes, the wolf oh is just God. basically like, <laughs> like do you want me to save your shit. ass or do <laughs> yeah. you want me to be polite? And then, and then I liked it. This was like the wolf being again with the competence porn is that even though he turns around and gives him the smackdown, the wolf does not let his ego stand in the way of his confidence. Right. And he says, please, like he's being a little bit like edgy about it but he says please because he's like at the end of the day i'm here to get a job to do i'm not here to swing my dick around so um so they all get going they get physically they they have to strip out of their suits and get hosed down and uh and quentin tarantino is standing there laughing at them and how dorky they look and i think he says you guys look like dorks and they're literally wearing his clothes yeah (laughs) Which was such a, and then even when they point that out, like we're wearing your clothes, he's still just laughing. It's like, <laughs> he's just, he's just so clueless. Um, so they all get cleaned up. The car gets cleaned out. Uh, the Vincent and Jules have to clean the car and scrub the bits of brain out of it. Um, and, and there was a scene where he's like, okay, we need blankets to cover up the seats and make that look nice. And, uh, and there's a scene where, um, Tarantino's sitting there having this conversation with 
the wolf in the bedroom and saying like, you know, these are, these are, these sheets are a really nice gift from my aunt and uncle, uh, you know, and, and the wolf goes, oh, that's nice. Are they, are they millionaires? Your uncle Marcellus is a millionaire and he wants you to have a little something and buy yourself a new set. Oh, furniture's <laughs> nice. Are you an oak man? And it's such a like, that again is part of the competence porn is the fantasy of having somebody just, somebody who's not only very competent, but also somebody acting on behalf of a very wealthy person who right. just wants to make things easy for you and is going to give you a big chunk of change for your trouble. Right. Um, it's being taken care of. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and then they end up at this junkyard uh, where the body's being taken care of. And who is the girl? Um, she looked familiar to me. I'm trying to remember. But I want to find out who the junkyard girl is because I remember she was somebody interesting and then I forgot who she was. Um, junkyard girl. <laughs> that sounds so awful. Junkyard Who's the junkyard girl? girl? Sounds like a freaking uh, a kid girl. song from the 70s. Junkyard girl. <laughs> oh, it's I knew it was Julia Sweeney. So oh, Julia God. Sweeney was like on SNL and she played uh, Pat. She oh, played that Lord. character that nobody knows oh, the gender God. of. What a and ill-conceived skit. Ooh. I know. I think she's even said she regrets that that yeah. she regrets Pat. I could um, but yeah, that. like Pat the junkyard girl is Pat. Oh, um, and, and as soon as I'm looking at the scene now, as soon as they like, oh shit, I see it. <laughs> damn, that's a damn shame. <laughs> they made a yeah. whole ass movie off of that shit. Wow. I know, yeah. Uh, there was so many bad SNL movies. Yeah. She was cute though, as the junkyard girl. And it's like, it's also, that's again, just part of the competence porn where the wolf walks out with this like cute 20 something girl. <laughs> Huh. Oh, my voice is giving out on me. The wolf walks out with this cute twenty-something girl, and you know, and he's not like a dirty old man. He's not leering. He's not being like Hugh Hefner, being like and like grabbing at her ass. Mm. He's just, you know, he's got this sort of friendly uncle demeanor, and she's clearly charmed by him. And it's like, isn't that what we all want? Is that when we're like in our sixties to have like thirty-year-old girls? I'm sorry, to have like thirty-year-old <laughs> women. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, but isn't that what we all want is, like, when we're in our 60s to have, like, 30-year-old women think that we're adorable and charming. <laughs> think that we're cool. Instead of, like, gross, dirty old men. Uh, I guess you know? if, we're, if we're as well-dressed and, uh, you know, as cool looking as fucking Harvey Keitel. Like, we yeah. want to be Harvey Keitel yeah. when we're 60. <laughs> One can only dream. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dare to dream. So, and this scene is so damn intense and awesome, and it's such a great character move for Samuel Jackson. Like, oh my, this is the moment where I was just like, this motherfucker really should have won an award. First of all, uh, we have the earlier point where, like, I didn't realize this, his monologue gets repeated, I think, like, three times in this movie. He was the first the, time he said The says Ezekiel was, thing? Yeah, the second time when it gets repeated as he's saying it again, because they, you know, show that scene and then go on to where, um, where the person pops out and tries to shoot him. Um, and then at the tail end where he, like, explains it to the thief. So, um, and what I, what I love about the scene, so yeah, like, you know, any of you fucking pricks move and we'll <laughs> plug every last one out. And, you know, they're going around, like, getting all the lost and stuff. And I think, uh, Marcellus, I mean, uh, Vincenzo just happened to have to go to the bathroom. He goes to the bathroom a lot in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, he does. I, he's got some kind of bladder issue. <laughs> he's got IBS or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So, um... 
And they get to Samuel and, you know, he's pointing the gun on his face. And he notices, like, you know, Sam has, like, a very, like, intense look on his face. And he's like, okay, you know, I'll get, I'm giving you the wallet. No problem. I've had a gun pointed in my face before, so I'm not, you know, I'm not studying this, you know. And he says, uh, and he happens to look down. He's like, oh, nice briefcase, you know. What's in it? And he's like, uh, my, uh, my boss's laundry. <laughs> and he goes, like, boss makes you do his laundry? He's like, uh, you know, I do the shit jobs I gotta do, you know. <laughs> he's, like, trying to be casual about it, just trying to get a move on. And he goes, like, open up the briefcase. And he's like... And, you know, it's just like, I, you know, it's like, I can't, it's like, I can't give you what's in it, though, you know, but he opens it up, and of course, you see the, the glow, and he's like, oh, my God, it's be it's beautiful, you know, it's like, you know, hand it over, and he's like, ah, nah, I don't think I can do that to you, bro, and he's like, hand over the goddamn thing, and then something happens where he gets slightly distracted for a second, and Samuel fucking smooth as shit, closes the case and at the in the same motion grabs the guy's hand so where like he can't shoot anymore and pulls out his own gun and aims it right at his face and um and uh you know the the girlfriend comes over and she's like oh my god what's happening and he's like calm down be cool be cool i said motherfucker be cool tell your girl to stay cool and he's like it's all good honey buddy just stay cool <laughs> you know and it gets to this great fucking monologue where he goes like you know it's like now in any other, like, on any other day, I would have blown your fucking head off. <laughs> but you happen to catch me in a transition period, and I don't want to do that. And it's, like, <laughs> it's just so cool. Like, and, and this is the way that uh, I say that the movie, um, would you say that it rhymes with the first one? Or, or like, it, it contrasts with the first one. Because, right, the first, the way the first movie ends is, you know, with the, with the quote-unquote Mexican standoff, where they're all aiming the guns at each other, and then everyone fucking dies. But in this movie, nobody dies. They're doing that it, and then left. nobody dies, yeah. I, I yeah. also I want to go back a little because I think the conversation before Vincent goes to the bathroom um, is, oh, yeah. uh, you know, where where Jules is having this sort of like very poetic, you know, poetic, almost prophet-like uh, vision of himself as walking the earth. And, you know, yeah. and Vincent's like, you're going to be a bum. You're going to be like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's such a great contrast between them of Jules with this like, you know, this sort of high minded poetic soul and Vincent just like, what, you mean you're going to be a bum? <laughs> like, yeah. The quote unquote realist, right? He's, he's telling him like, no, nah, you're just going to be homeless. You, you eat the food that I'm going to throw away. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you, you don't want to live that life. You know, like we're, we're living relatively good right now. But he's just like, no, I can't. Basically, him just, like, coming down to the point, like, you know, I have been saved by something, you know, by a force or whatever that I didn't need to be saved by, and this is making me think twice about, like, just kind of my life. And so, you know, he's having a whole revelation, and then that's when Vincenzo excuses himself to go to bed. Am I, is it, Vin, I'm saying it the Italian way, but is it actually Vincenzo, or is it? I think his name is Vincent. I think somebody yeah. might call him Vincenzo at one point, like, his, like, I think his drug nickname, dealer, but I don't yeah. remember. Yeah, I think his drug dealer called him that at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, and so, you know, the whole thing comes down where he's saying, like, you know, he's aiming a gun at him because, you know, his girl's aiming the gun at him. Uh, and so he's like, all right, we're in a sort of tense standoff motion. But he's saying, like, I don't want to kill you. What I want to do is, and he says, like, you know, reach in, reach in my wallet. I mean, uh, reach in the, the bag and pull out my wallet. And he's like, yeah, that's $1,500 in there, plus all the money that you're already getting. And so, like, you know, in an age where I could have just blown your fucking head off, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to do that anymore. I'm trying to be a changed person. And he has a great um, bit of dialogue in here where, and it really does come off like he's like thinking of it for the first time because the way he's saying it is in a way that's like, 
it, it's like one of those things where as a person you want to try to paint yourself in the best light but then it's like the slow realization of like no i'm not that guy i'm actually this and i'm trying to be the better person i always said that bible quote like he gives him the whole quote and he says like you know i always just thought that shit sounded cool i never really seriously deeply thought about it <laughs> but and on one hand i was thinking like wait you said that for years you didn't think twice about it what the heck man like why would you have that whole thing memorized and you, you haven't even thought about what it, the deeper meaning of it but then i had that extra moment where i was like oh gee you mean like what happens when you watch a movie you've been watching a movie for years and don't see the deeper meaning in it until you make a podcast about it <laughs> you know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um so but i love the monologue he's like see now i'm thinking like I said, the transitional thought that it seems like he's having, like, in mid-sentence as he's talking about, it. you know, he's like, see, now I'm thinking, maybe it means you're the evil man, and I'm the righteous man, and Mr. Nine Millimeter here, he's the shepherd protecting uh, my righteous ass in the valley of darkness. Or, it can mean you're the righteous man, and I'm the shepherd, and it's the word that's evil, uh, and it's the world that's evil and selfish, and I'd like that. But that shit ain't the truth. The truth is, you're the weak, and I'm the tyranny of evil men. But I'm trying, Ringo. I'm trying real hard to be the shepherd. Yeah, I like that he. Ringo. I like that he calls him Ringo. Like he doesn't even have a Liverpudlian accent. He doesn't sound right. anything like Ringo. But I, I like that it's just British, and that's. I like that that is like the British person that Jules thinks of to call the British right, person yeah. is Ringo. Ringo. I guess he has the most memorable name of the Beatles, even though he's he looks a little like Ringo. Actually, uh, though he does. Like Tim Roth actually looks kind of like Ringo got that Star. Hang face, yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I thought that was like just really fascinating to see like a character figuring out themselves, you know, like, no, I'm not this great person. Like, I'm I'm, I'm someone who's like trying to be like, it's uh, this is what I, yeah, yeah, this is what I wrote down. It's like, it genuinely comes off like he's thinking this for the first time and coming to a realization of what he's been like, like the first two examples of how to interpret it are honestly, they're too nice like in context of talking about yourself right like oh i'm mm -hmm. the shepherd i'm the but then in reality to have that revelation to want to be a better person you have to have that internal struggle of admitting that you're not great in the first place for doing what you've done up to this point you know what i mean the admitting of the evils uh as an imperfect person in order to seek that absolution right like uh, the forgiveness of sins and what have you um and so yeah that that was just like the character moment that just really like made me like you know widen my eyes and like you know have my mouth agape where i was just like i feel like i'm watching a person like you know what i mean like i'm not watching an actor in a movie like i'm watching a fucking person who's just like having a real moment you know that's what i mean about like i love spike lee and uh, uh um quentin tarantino movies i think that they're like you know the directors of like the 90s because like they're the motherfuckers who i feel like made movies that are about like people like it feels like you are talking to people when you see this shit you know and that's kind of like the beauty of him having the you know the these monologues and shit that seem like they kind of go nowhere and maybe they kind of don't because it's like well i mean does everything in your life have a direct exact purpose you know did every conversation you have like lead to the next thing that was important like no you know what i mean and so like that's kind of like the beauty of you know uh, his style, this style of uh, movie making, you know what I mean? That I appreciate. Yeah. Oh, and that, that was the final thing that I wanted to say. This is what I think is fascinating, right? Because, you know, he has this revelation. He's like, I don't want to kill anymore. I'm not going to be this, you know, uh, man, I'm, I'm going to decide to walk a different path and who knows where it'll lead, but it'll lead somewhere. And what's funny is like, as, as the movie ends, it ends with them sort of, you know, taking a look to the left and putting their guns in their, in, in their, you know, waistband and then just sort of walking out like a cool little moment. But when you think about it, you know, that wasn't the actual end of the narrative. The end of the narrative, at least as far as uh, v uh, Vincent is concerned, is getting killed in Bruce Willis's apartment. And when you think about it from that grander sort of scale, it's like, huh, 
you know, like Samuel L. Jackson's character literally ends up getting saved in a way. Because if he right, because have- yeah, because that's they they split off. Because Vincent's like, oh, you're being an idiot. You're you're gonna leave the life. You're gonna go be a bum. You're gonna you know you're gonna you're gonna regret this. And Vincent's the one who, by staying in that in that line of work, right. ends up getting killed very shortly thereafter. Yeah, like I love that little sort of like the narrative kind of like proves Vincent, uh, excuse me, uh, Samuel Jackson's character, like kind of right for like choosing a better path. You know what I mean? Like, cause yeah, yeah. I mean, if he was there too, I mean, you know, maybe there would have been like a brawl or something like that, but like it would have ended with them, another person needing to be killed. You know what I mean? Like by either his or, you know, Vincent's hand, you know? Um, but yeah, it's like he, like by doing that thing that is the direct miracle, the quote unquote miracle that you see of you know, them avoiding, you know, getting shot. But like by not ignoring it, he takes that as just this tacit sign, you know, that he could have ignored to do something more. And then he kind of ends up getting rewarded by the narrative of the movie. Like, <laughs> you know, even though like it's, it's Vincent's character that we kind of follow for a lot of like when it comes to the narrative between them, you mostly kind of see uh Vincent because he's the one who who has the you know scene with Uma Thurman but yeah like he really gets his in the end that you could only really appreciate when you watch it again and realize that oh shit yeah if that was if if Vincent and uh Samuel L. Jackson would have been in that scene maybe they both would have gotten shot or or maybe by the fact that he was in the bathroom you know and being a dumbass leaving his fucking gun on the counter you know like if if Samuel L. Jackson would have been there you know he would have had to kill another motherfucker you know what I mean like yeah, yeah. And so I just thought that was interesting. Like it, it sort of rewards you if you pay attention to that thing, but it doesn't really put it in your face, you know. So yeah, yeah that's good storytelling sure. is how I feel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this has been the Review a New Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to hear all other exclusive episodes, be sure to check them out on Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/RapCritic. You can also, of course, get access to Rap Critic episodes early, vote on song reviews, and join the RC Patreon. Uh, plus, if you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are listened to. It's super helpful and exposes us to other people trying to find content like this on the ever-changing algorithm out there that's, you know, not helpful to us at all. So, be the people that are helpful, please, uh, <laughs> if you enjoy the podcast. If you don't, you know, evict me and forget me. But, uh, if you like it, you know, you know, consider, consider it is all I'm saying. Uh, we, we super appreciate it. But, uh, definitely follow to keep up with the show. Uh, and until next time, I'm DJ... I'm Evan. And I'm going to get medieval on your ass. Yes. We we already did that last week with the Green Knight. Never mind. (laughs) Did we? (laughs) Uh.